0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Primetime and Sean Mooney. You're right. Something is missing there, folks. If you've been following us on Twitter and Facebook, though, you may already know about some big changes coming to the podcast starting now. Uh, The biggest announcement, Hacksaw Jim Duggan is no longer my co-host. And, you know, first of all, I want to uh, make sure that you all know it had nothing to do with any differences in what we were doing with the show Uh, I absolutely thoroughly enjoyed the 18 podcasts with uh, Hacksaw, who I believe is one of the most entertaining wrestlers in the business and also one of the most entertaining human beings out there. I mean, he is genuinely funny. I think you uh, got a, a big taste of that in these podcasts. But I think you also know that during doing these podcasts and hearing from Hacksaw every week. He was somewhere out there in the world uh, doing indie shows and comic cons and wrestle cons and, you know, various other appearances. And um, also his home life is really, really important to him. And he usually is home during the week and he values that very much. And trying to arrange time to record podcasts with him every week was becoming more and more difficult. And he actually hung in there for uh, a bunch of weeks with us, folks. Uh, because you wanted to help us out with this transition. And, uh, you know, in the end here, though, he decided to tap out. Okay, now that that's the bad news, all right? That That's the bad news, but we've got great news. Uh, first of all, primetime is going to continue. Uh, primetime with Sean Mooney is going to go on, and we are planning to take this podcast now to the next level with even more superstars and other guests uh, who have had an impact on, you know, uh, do I have to tell you. This once again, the greatest era of professional wrestling, and also we're going to take it beyond as we move along here. But we are, are you know, of course, our, our focus is the 80s and 90s, where so many tremendous uh, storylines went down, and, and the catapult uh, the catapultion of, of WWF and, and uh, pro wrestling in general. I mean, just all the way around, it was just a fantastic period of time, and we're going to keep focusing on that. And that starts with this podcast because coming up, we're going to have a very special guest joining us to kick it all off. And every week, we're going to have someone else from that era, and I am really, really excited about uh, you know getting in touch with some of my old pals that I work with, and also just some of the people that you know maybe weren't in the ring, but behind the scenes, they uh, played a big role in making making it happen. And 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 I think at this point, you've listened long enough to know that uh, this is not your typical wrestling podcast. I mean, I approach every single podcast the same way I did when I worked for the WWF and everything else I've done beyond, uh, you know, with just wide-eyed amazement. I look at the world that way, and I have a view which I think is unlike anybody else's, and I I hope that you know that I have brought that to this podcast, and you've, and you've witnessed it. You feel it. Um, I go off the tracks. <laughs> that is not going to change. When somebody says something, I catch it. Uh, we're going to go into that. We're going to, we're going to delve into whatever it goes. Cause uh, I think some of the greatest moments on these podcasts we've had all 18 of them have been when, uh, Jim and I went off the tracks and we, we get back on, we get back onto our subject, but uh, I think that's how you really have to keep it open like that. You have a, you have a, a palette and then, uh, then you decide you might want to paint a little something, a little different color over here. That's that's the way it has uh, happened. And I love it. And, uh, that's what we're going to keep doing, and we're going to welcome new guests every week, and uh, it's not going to be, as you've seen, uh, you know, the shoot interview, tell me about this incident, when it happened, what about this event, it's not just going to be about that, it's going to be about their lives, how they got into the, you know, uh, stuff they do outside, it's just going to be, uh, you know, focusing on who these people are and how they change the world of wrestling along the way. And uh, I've told you my story, you know, as uh, when I arrived in the WWF, so I, was, I was a complete outsider. I mean, I was absolutely green to the business, and I had the incredible fortune to have been taught this business by some of the biggest names in wrestling at the time. You know, Gorilla, Bobby, Lord Alfred Hayes, Gene Okerlund, Freddie Blassie, a- and so many others. And because of those people, you know, eventually I was accepted into that world, but I never ever Forgot that I didn't come up that way, and so I always appreciated and just have looked at this business because it is an, an amazing business when you you see all the ins and outs of it and the uh, the kayfabe and the uh, you know the, the the different relationships and how these guys have survived and it's it's just amazing and we're going to keep bringing you that every week. So I uh, really have been privileged to be a part uh, of that great period of history, and as I said, we're going to be introducing you to some people maybe you've never even heard of. Some also very familiar names that you're going to uh, recognize right away, but uh, also some other people. with A few surprises along the way, which I'm really excited about. So my mission now is to track down as many as uh, of these people as is humanly possible, and get them in front of a microphone. And I know you know we've lost lo- we've lost so many, um, and we do you know every day it seems or every week something else happens. But there are still many of those who are out there, and. Uh, who are willing to, to share their stories and I can't wait to talk to them. Um, so, uh, but remember, remember I've said all along, this isn't just my podcast. It wasn't Jim's it's, it's your podcast. And I want you to come along for this journey with me. I want you to continue to go on the ride and I want to hear from you. I want to hear from you. Give me your top five guests that you want to see on this program or, you know, top two, whatever, just tell me who you want to, uh, Uh, have me talk to uh, and share your questions and your comments and uh, whatever else you want to throw in there. So uh, you can still contact me through my Twitter account. That's at Sean Mooney, who at Sean Mooney, who, and also the official Twitter account primetime, you know, at primetime MLW at primetime MLW. And I have the email account still going. That's uh, and I check it. I check it every day. And I promise you, I will answer. Uh, The address is primetime at MLW. primetime at mlw.com and of course you can still purchase (laughs) one of our primetime tees from wrestlingtees.com uh you can still be one of the proud and few uh who has the uh, sean mooney who t-shirt uh there's of course the uh the ding 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 uh short shirt there's a you know some other great ones on there. Uh, what is that a shot still up there? Of course, the, the show uh, logo T-shirts up there. But uh, would love to have you go there to uh, prowrestlingtees.com and uh, go to uh, you know something or, or to uh, uh, primetime um, with Sean Mooney and check out the tees. And I'll tell you, I'm taking a page from our friends. It's something to wrestle with. And I'm, I'm telling you right now, I am going to call <laughs> everybody that purchases a t-shirt, whatever the collection. It doesn't have to be a Sean who t-shirt. I promise, I am going to call. I will call anybody who buys a t-shirt. So check out ProWrestlingTees.com. And uh, before we get into it, get to our special guest, because I'm very anxious to get there. Uh, I still have the DVDs that my good friends at WWE gave me, and I'm going to give away a DVD uh, this week. Uh, well, I'm putting the word out now, and I will draw the name of the winner of the unreleased, never before seen matches from 1986 to 1995, and uh, I will draw it. And if you've already put in a review, which, you know, what you you know you what to have to do here is you go to iTunes. If you like what you're hearing, uh, I want you to give us a review and a rating. And um, I have all of the people that from we started last time with these in the in the bowl, the ding 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 bowl. They're still here, so you can hear them. And, uh, all new reviews, I will, I uh, will get the names and I'll put them all in there. And next week I'm going to draw uh, a winner of this DVD and I will sign it. And I told you before, I don't care where you are. If you're in the UK, uh, wherever Germany, it doesn't matter wherever you're listening from. If you or if your name is picked here, you're going to, I'm going to tell you to DM me direct message me on my Twitter account and then uh, with an address. And I will send this to you all signed. Okay. So folks. Uh, man, it's time. Let's let's start with the new Primetime with Sean Mooney and my very special guest. So with that, it's time to get to it, to get to my first guest on Primetime with Sean Mooney. Now that it's Primetime with Sean Mooney, he is someone I go way back with, uh, who I spent a lot of time with during my time with the WWF another who happened to live in the WWF kingdom in Stanford at the time during uh, what we often refer to as the a golden time in professional wrestling. And uh, he was a big part of everything that went on behind the curtain and in the ring as we uh, continue to uh, tick down the clues here. He had, had a tremendous influence on me and, you know, how I developed with the uh, World Wrestling Federation. And uh, in front of the camera, you knew him as Brother Love. Uh, to me, he was Bruce. He's Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, thank you so much for coming on. How are you, man? I am excellent. You mean I'm I'm actually really and truly your your first guest? Yes, yes, you are with this uh, version of uh, Primetime with Sean
1: Mooney. Yeah, you're it, brother. So you you like you like went all the way down to the bottom <laughs> of the barrel. And we're just scraping around. And then it was like, well, I don't know. See, Bruce doesn't have anything else to do. Let's see what he's doing. Well, it's a pleasure. Well,
0: Bruce, <laughs> Bruce, in years past, that may have been the case. But, you know, then you go on to become like the, the king of podcasts. Uh, uh, one of the hottest podcast stars out there together with, uh, with Conrad Thompson. And, uh, of course, everybody knows now something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard was voted this year's best sports and recreation podcast. Uh, that, that, uh, we're going to really get into that down, down as we talk here, but Bruce, it has just got to just blow your mind. What's what's happened with, with your podcast.
1: It, it absolutely does. And, uh, you know, you, you bring up the award that we won. It yeah. blew my mind. This is the funny part about it was back in, I guess, may or whenever these awards were announced, uh, I saw it on Twitter mm-hmm. and they had my name listed with Dan Batard and Phil Simmons, right. and all these different yeah. guys. Right. and I thought it was Photoshopped. I thought that somebody had like doctored up something. I didn't know what the hell the Academy that there there actually is an Academy of podcasters. And then I get a, I get a call and say, Hey, this is kind of a big deal. You've, been nominated i said oh come on that was a rib somebody just photoshopped this no that's real and i went out um to the convention and i was sitting way in the back in a corner and they announce all the different names and everybody gets a golf clap and they come to my name something to wrestle with bruce pritchard and it's crickets yeah right. really? and then yeah and then they they oh, go God. and the winner is something to wrestle with bruce yeah, pritchard and are I you mean, like you've already gotten up ahead for the door you're like what <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, I sat there for a second and they put my picture up on the screen, and the guy sitting next to me goes, Hey, man, that's you. I was like, Oh, what? I, uh, that, that That is me. And uh, I, it took me so long to get up there, they thought I wasn't there, and the guy started to move on. <laughs> and I'm yelling, going, I'm here. Over here. I'm coming. So, uh, kind of a big deal. Kind of a big deal. Like
0: you mentioned, you mentioned that and they have this list, folks, that you can go through of. You know, it it rates the the podcasts of iTunes, and they go down the one hundred, and they have you know little pictures of who these people are. And you're right, you look at those lists, you know, uh, you know Simmons' podcast with ESPN, and all these guys, you tell them Libertard, and uh, you know, and then you there there's something to wrestle with, you know, and you're like. Wow, this is big time. I mean, these are gigantic names in sports, and that's what most of them are. I don't know what the recreation part is, but it's really it's about, about sports and uh, that that it's just incredible. Now, we're going to get into that, right? But we have so much more to talk about. And I know, you know, you and Conrad have done I think what 70 episodes now, right? And okay, uh, I believe you. but I know today, Bruce, that we are going to cover some material that you guys have never uh uncovered. You've never revealed to, uh, podcast listeners. And we're going to do that here today. Uh, you know, so much to talk about, especially the time that I, you know, I, I used to refer to when we were in Stanford as it was Camelot. It really was because it, it was a kingdom We you lived in a kingdom in Stanford, uh, as the, the, with the WWF. But before we even get into that, um, I want to find out really the real story, like wh- how you ended up there, because, you know, you go on, uh, these, Different sites, and they have you know the bios and the rundowns, and they after a while all these things, the facts and whatever, kind of blend together. People steal stuff from another site, but it says that you know you started in the business at the age of ten, and I know uh, Paul Bosch played a major role in your in your life. But uh, give us you know kind of the really at ten, and then you were were you actually doing play by play or or had a microphone in front of
1: you at twelve. (laughs) <laughs> well no it, it, the i started at 10 years old i was selling posters at the sam houston coliseum for paul Bosch and and just yeah. hustling and you the more posters and stuff you sold the more money you made and i would walk out at the age of 10 sometimes you know between 12 and 20 dollars in my pocket that's big money in 1973 big, yeah. for a 10 year old kid yeah so uh i i did that my brother tom was taking pictures and and Tom also, you know, we both wanted to be wrestlers. We were those kids that were always hanging around, doing something and doing whatever we could to be in the business. And Tom was taking pictures. Tom was seconding. Tom was working on the television show, whatever he could do. When I was 12 years old, I got to be the uh, assistant director of the television show, which basically (laughs) was uh, giving cues to Paul Bosch for uh, what the commercial breaks were coming up and timing out the show, so at a very young age, God, at
0: twelve, was the family? I, I, no, but d- you say that your brother was with the rest of your family. Uh, uh, your parents to wrestling. I mean, what 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 was the draw? Uh,
1: Tom and I working? loved wrestling. Tom and uh, I just loved wrestling. Uh, and my my dad was at U.S. Customs and worked at the DA, DEA and uh, twenty three years in the army and all that good stuff. Uh, and and my mom was a housewife, but she took us to the matches every Friday night. Oh. And we just did whatever we could do to be in the business, be around it.
0: Yeah, You so, know, and and people talk all the time about uh, Paul Bosch.
1: And, and I know that
0: he, uh, like Hacksaw, you know, said that he played a major role in his career and helping him out. And actually, remember after the incident with, with the, the Iron Sheik, you know, wanted him on that card in Houston. Uh, tell me about that guy. And obviously, he was a
1: really uh, influential person in your life. Well, Paul was... Uh, the promoter in Houston. and Paul was Mr. Houston in so many ways. He was on television four hours a week. you know, two we had a show on Saturday night, and then the show repeated on Sunday morning. Yeah. So he was the face of the promotion. He was the promoter. He was the commentator. He was everything. So he was also very uh, civic minded and very involved in everything in the city. So Paul took a liking to us for whatever reason. Maybe it was your enthusiasm, designer.
0: you wouldn't go yeah. away. Probably
1: that, that too. <laughs> Very persistent. Uh, yeah, Vince McMahon told me once I was the most persistent son of a bitch he'd ever met in my life. Cause yeah. I just wouldn't take no for an answer. And we, you know, we, we were always around and if I got an opportunity, I, I just, I jumped at it. We were always around. So if there was opportunity and there was nobody else to do it, I would do it. Uh, same thing with Tom. We just took it and. And I remember being fourteen years old, and the ring announcer, Boyd Pierce, didn't show up. And uh, I was like, "Well, you want to announce?" And the mm-hmm. reason he didn't show up was because there was a really bad flood in Houston, and he couldn't he couldn't make it to the town. We didn't have cell phones uh-huh. then. Yep. and he we knew something. Wasn't right with Boyd when he wasn't there by seven o'clock for an eight thirty show because usually he was the first one in the building. So they let me announce. Uh, I remember wearing uh, this corduroy 12? pants. No, I was fourteen. <laughs> 14. I was fourteen when I announced. Okay. All right. And I get in the ring. I'm wearing corduroy pants and a Hobie surf shirt. I, I mean, I still remember. That put to this you over day. big
0: time, yeah, big.
1: Time. But I yeah. asked everyone to stand for the plane of our natural anthem. <laughs> and for, huh? Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and then I, I hope I,
0: nobody kneeled though. Like that, uh, yeah. Well, back in the, <laughs> those
1: days, you know, that, that would have been unheard of. But yeah. then the first guy I introduced is Toro Tanaka, who hailed from, as I announced it, Yakahoma, Japan. <laughs> So it was a rough, it was a rough night for me, but one that but Bruce, how many people today? in that
0: crowd actually knew how to pronounce Yokohama. <laughs> Yok-
1: okay. Well, All
0: right. So you probably got away with that one.
1: And, and on this <laughs> night, there weren't a lot of people there due to the storm. So I was, I was okay. However, it, it, it was uh tape for posterity and and every once in a while I go back and try and I haven't done it in good God uh, at least ten years since I've had a working VCR in my house, but I have it somewhere on VCR uh, so that's that's no, what that is thought. kids is it's yeah. a tape it's a it's a thing <laughs> like about the size of a brick and you put it in a machine and then you hit play and you have to anyway, it rewind yeah the whole thing yeah, they're all well you know what you've done now
0: there's it. somebody out there who's going to find it and it's gonna be posted on one of your accounts so. It'll it'll it will appear, you know that, unless it has already.
1: I hope so. I mean, it was it was good times, you know, yeah, it was all awesome. good times.
0: So uh, as this goes along, because the reason I wanted to, to kind of travel this road is uh, how it led you to the WWF, because uh, you know, uh, Bosch had a relationship with Watts, who had what Universal Wrestling Federation that was in the eighties, and so would that, eventually is what the WWF bought that territory or how did it work No, right?
1: no, Bill, Bill Watts uh had the Mid-South Wrestling uh organization. He later morphed into the UWF, the Universal Wrestling. Right. Right. And I worked for Paul and I also worked for Bill because Bill was a part owner in Houston. Uh and through that, uh, Jim Ross also worked for Bill Watts and Jim and I became friends and Jim uh, started to use me to do kind of like the precursor to the event center. I would be the guy that would stand up and do the interviews with the wrestlers for the individual towns promoting the live events. And mm-hmm. I would do, we would do these interviews, and in so that's Watt- where
0: it started.
1: Yeah, and and <laughs> I I would have to interview the heels in one suit, and then you would have to change clothes to interview the faces <laughs> because you know that you can't wear the right. same. Being the same thing with baby faces and heels. So that was always comical yeah. to me. I said, yeah, yeah, but why do I have to change? I understand changing the background, right. but why do I, God damn boy, you wouldn't be wearing the same thing when you're interviewing the heels. That's one day. Cause, cause if they're in the same vicinity and they don't fight then something's wrong. Mm. Should have so, been go- should have gone with a the tuxedo then,
0: then it would have solved everything.
1: There you go. I did. Well, that's the, the for syndication and all of the generic promos. That's exactly what I wore well, was a tuxedo. Okay. Yep, change. That was good. Yeah, <laughs> go figure. But individual towns, you got to yeah. wear a suit and a tie. <laughs> that's but great. Professional. So um, I, I was working with Watts and and Bosch and everybody, and Bill Watts was in the process of selling his company to Jim Crockett and the NWA at the time. Uh, I didn't really care for Mr. Crockett that much. I, I don't know him personally. I'd, I'd yeah. worked with him a couple of times in, in my career at that point. But, uh, prior to, prior to that, about six months before I left a guy by the name of Eddie Gilbert, who was mm-hmm. a great, uh, great, great wrestler, great friend of mine. He and Missy Hyatt had gone to New York to meet with Vince. And he told me he was going to go meet with Vince. And, uh, he said, is there any interest, man? He goes, you would be great in New York. And I said, you know what? Mention my name. I said, uh, see if there's anything for me.
0: And
1: hmm. he came back, handed me Vince McMahon's number and said, give him a call. Wow. And I did. And the, his secretary would tell me every day, sorry, Vince is avail- unavailable right now. Call back at such and such a time. I would call back on the dot. I, I was working sure. in the office in Houston I would, honest to God, I would lock the front door because I was the only one there. I'd put the other line on hold and I would call New York. I'd call Vince's office. And I did every single time that she gave me, I would call. And when he finally took my calls, like, ha, 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 God damn, you're the most persistent <laughs> son of a son bitch I've ever <laughs> I love it.
0: I love you already.
1: So, wow. uh. He he told me that uh, he didn't know what I could do or anything, but uh, whatever, if I decided that I wanted to really make the move, I would have to relocate to Stanford, Connecticut, and my immediate response was, no problem, I can do that. I Kentucky didn't even land. know Stanford was. Yeah. I had to get out the road atlas and look it up. <laughs> Connecticut? Um, yeah. Where, yeah what is that? It's up there above New York. Uh, yeah. I'm thinking, what the hell? You know, I'm 24 years old, born and raised in the great state of Texas. And I'm thinking, what the hell am I going to, how, how do you, how do I get there? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, uh, but I said, I'd do it. And, and I made my mind up at that moment that, um, I was going to Connecticut, come hell or high water. Well, wow.
0: but did, uh, you know, and we've talked, I talked with, uh, uh, hacksaw about this a, a bunch of times he was down in mid-south when all this was happening the rise of the wwf now we're talking about what 87 now and so it's it's rising i mean it is a, every the talk of everybody uh do you remember you know no, thinking back then that's this is the big leagues uh, this is you know and being overwhelmed by it or just hey this is where i'm supposed to be because you were pretty uh I, i'll say uh, bruce you you were very um what, what's the word that uh uh High on yourself, you—you you, you had a lot of confidence. I think is the best word.
1: I was cocky and arrogant. <laughs> uh,
0: so, I mean, was what was the, your thinking at the time? Yeah. Well,
1: you know, I—I I, I knew what I wanted to do, and I knew that if I was going to move up in the business and I was going to to do anything more than run a few towns,
0: yeah,
1: that I needed to be in New York. And so when I went to New York. I, I remember <laughs> sitting down with Vince and essentially he says, you know, you're hired. Don't know what I'm going to do with you. I have yeah, no I idea. i
0: going to ask you that.
1: <laughs> um, I'll have you, you know, sit in with us on the booking, go sit in with the, uh, Ed Cohen and live events for him booking the towns, go sit in with marketing, go sit in with the promotions department, television, blah, blah, blah. And there was a void at the time. With the cable programming, it was just being written, kind of almost, there was no thought being put into it. It was just put together, kind of slapped together. Same thing with the international programming. Yeah. And the opportunity came up for me to go to uh, Video 1 in Baltimore and start writing Primetime Wrestling, uh, All-American Wrestling, Spotlight, and the international programs.
0: So was Hamilton, Hamilton was up and running then, right? I mean, with the production facility.
1: Hamilton did, did, not, did not open until uh, January of eighty eight. So wow. I was still, I was still yeah. going. We were building Hamilton Avenue, and, and they were
0: still doing stuff out of Baltimore. Yes, I, mean, I don't know if a lot of people realize that that there was a lot going on there. I mean, that's where Kevin Dunn came from, and you know, so there was a lot, a big connection to Baltimore.
1: Exactly. Yeah, and yeah. and so uh, we were building the studio. Joel Watts was going to be, for lack of a better term, the executive producer, but he was going to be the main producer of the syndicated shows and take over the production facility and run all of that. And, uh, we do. And I, I tell Vince, uh, he says, where's Joel? I said, well, um, Joel's not coming. Okay. I mean, he must be swamped. (laughs) And I go, yeah, it must be. Now I knew, I I knew that Joel had quit, but it wasn't. In least we hadn't gotten to Vince yet. Well, no. And again, we didn't have cell phones then. I yeah. talked to Joel uh, at the payphone at the airport and he told me, just tell Vince I quit. And I'm like, uh-uh, nope, not doing it. So we land and I remember calling Joel and I said, hey man, uh, you need to call Vince and you need to talk to him and tell him you quit. And he says, ah, he'll, he'll, he'll get it. <laughs> I said, man, figure it out. Not cool. Oh, so, oh. um so Joel called him and, and they, they talked it out and everything. So the next day we're doing TV for a couple of days. And essentially I just absorb all of Joel's responsibilities for television and everything. And, and I just do it at 20 and just, yeah, I don't think about it. I just do it. Vince kind of dumps it all on me. And I remember uh flying back on the plane and he just looks over at me and laughs because I'm thinking, Oh man, I came here with Joel. Joel's my buddy. We were working together and, and now Vince is going to have to find somebody to replace Joel and they may not like me. I may be screwed. Uh, and Vince just looks at me and goes, God damn pal. You just roll with the punches. I'm like, I have no choice. Yeah. So I basically just inherited that. Um, and I just continued to do it. And that's how I landed where I did, you know, doing everything, at the studio and being in charge of the shows, it wasn't by, um, hey, that's something I want to do, or yeah, I, I just did it. So, and I mean, it, at this
0: point, you really, you had no idea what you were doing. I mean, uh, with the production levels at that, what, what they're doing in that many shows, I mean, was it kind of like, "I'll, I'll, you know, do it, fake it till I make it? I mean, what was... Basically, yeah,
1: I had a great crew. <laughs> Yes, you know, that, that, that is you very true. Think about true, the yeah. people that we had, and, and yeah. we had, you know, Kevin Dunn, Kevin Quinn, Larry Rosen, yeah, you know, the Three Stooges, and, yeah. and throw Curtin into that mix as well. Um, you could do it blindfolded.
0: yeah. So well, they it, really
1: had a great crew. All I had to do was yeah. oversee it and be the liaison with Vince. Yeah.
0: Well, and the one thing I was going to mention to, is the fact that I don't, people really have an idea of just how small – that staff was at the time. And as you know, as we get into more about, you know, what, when we were there and all this was going on, really, you had, you know, Kevin Dunn was a producer, basically produced all these shows, uh, did, you know, live events as well. But you said like Kevin Quinn was the editor, Larry Rosen was the the audio guy. And that was pretty much it. That was edit one. And then we had a few other rooms that we, you know, did the event center in, but that's, that was the center of the universe for the WWF production when they, when that started rolling. And exactly. it's just amazing. Yeah, it really is amazing.
1: Now, uh, were you there were you there when Chris Carmody was there for about three weeks. Yes,
0: and I, I was going to talk to you about that too because I I came up and you know at the time I was working for Major League Baseball Productions in New York City and maybe you know the story. I, it's never really been confirmed to me, but I did a show called Light Moments in Sports with Joe Namath, and I was I was actually producing the show, and you know Joe couldn't do, go out and do stuff you know, uh, because of his needs, uh, he just wasn't capable and they needed somebody to go out and do crazy, uh, sports stuff. And I went to the the monster factory in New Jersey and had done the story and it appeared in this light moments in sports show. And I was told that somehow Vince saw it. Somebody saw me do it. You know, it was, I played the idiot reporter who gets crap beat out of him and that he saw it. And a guy that was working there at the time, I don't know if you remember him, Scotty Davis had worked for MLB and worked at the facility. He was one of the guys helping with the syndicated tapes, getting them sent out. And he called me and said, "Vince wants to want you to audition." And that was like the first I'd heard of anything. Of of I, mean, I of course, I kept up on what was happening with the WFUF, but as far as actually getting a chance to get a job there, do you know how the I, how the hell I ended up there? Do you or how that came about? Do you remember? I, because you I were do there
1: audition. Yeah. I, I remember seeing a tape. And I remember seeing a tape of you do it and it was sports stuff. I I don't, I don't remember the name of it, but I remember seeing stuff. Vince said, take a look at this guy and let's get him in here. And the the rest, as they say, is history because we were looking, we had Gene Okerlund who was doing a lot of that stuff. And Gene was just getting completely, uh, just worn to bits. And I had the event center was something that I had come up with to basically, save talent and to try and save gene at the time Mm -hmm. from doing so, you know, you would have to do interviews for every single market. And Howard Finkel used to write out who would do what interviews and had everybody doing every conceivable interview that you could do for every conceivable market. And probably 10% of it actually ever made air, but Howard would do it to entertain himself. Yeah. Yeah. So the idea was to streamline it. And do wraparounds. So the talent only had to do one generic promo for th- their opponent. And then right. we would do the wraparounds for the town specific. And it was yeah. similar to what we had done in mid South, but it was a, a much bigger project. And that's how the event center was born. Yeah, but no.
0: to,
1: Go ahead. But Jean, Jean was burnt and we needed someone. Yeah. Vince was looking for a younger, you know, younger look, uh, other than Oakland. And didn't, you know, just didn't want to burn Gene out at the time. And, uh, here was this kid. I forget how your tape came to us. I thought you had sent it to us.
0: No. Uh, well I did because that was after Scott called me and said, send up your tape. Like somebody had seen that, that bit on, uh, the light moments in sports show. And he said, send your tape up here. So he, he's the one that got my tape to you guys. And then I got this call and I remember who, I can't remember the P, uh, the, uh, HR guy was, uh, Alan but- frost. Yes, yes, and he he I, met me at the train station and took me over there in in Linda's Jaguar at the time that she had, and uh, and took me to the TV studio where, of course, I did the the uh, infamous "Sell Me the Broom" audition. <laughs> that that I I don't remember that part. I heard you you had mentioned that I did a somewhat decent job with that. I must have done something to get your attention, but I was I always remember like what that's like. Sell me a pencil, right? It's kind of the old. Uh, and I don't even exactly. remember what I did. I don't remember what I did. But uh, obviously it worked. And, and I do remember the one thing I did do that I thought would stand out. Is I knew, okay, they've got all these guys coming up here doing these auditions. I have to do something different, like that's beyond what they asked me to do. And I came up with this dumbass skit where I think I did, you know, all you wrestling fans, you're crazy about the WWF. It's time to come out of the closet. Tell your friends and family, burst out of there. I don't remember what it But I, I did that and I, uh, just to be different. And, uh, yeah, two weeks later, I got a call from Alan and he said, if you want to come up here and work, and I think I was making, uh, I don't know, 50,000 or something at the time, which I thought was okay. And I, and they, they were, I can't remember what the amount was, but I said, if you give me you know, like three more, I'll do it. <laughs> like, so, uh, so I that was, I was all, hired huh? by the WWF. Oh. Yeah. oh no, it was, it wasn't a lot of money back then. I mean, really, but for New York. And I was living in New York City, so I knew what it was like to starve. But uh, yeah, and then then the, like you said, the rest is history. But I'll tell you, Bruce, it's really uh, awesome to hear about the event center because if you think about it, and I, and I didn't know you were at the center, that I knew that you were a big part of it. But if you think about what, how great a night, how that worked for promoting, because before you know, you had these guys doing, they would do the interviews and, and, and they would have Gene, and they would have to say the date every time and the venue. And, and this was a streamlined, it looked like I was at uh, WWF, uh, you know, sports center and I, you know, they'd be throwing it back to me and the guys didn't have to do near as many interviews. And, uh, people don't understand about how we used to customize. Like you would put tapes, individual tapes together and they would send them out to these syndicated markets.
1: All right. So every think, single
0: it? market got a different yeah. tape. And wasn't, you know, Vince wanted to get to 100 markets. Was that accurate? That, you know, he felt that if I get 100 markets. And he was paying
1: for some of these, a lot of these stations, right? He was paying them to put it on. Originally, yeah. Originally, yeah. he was paying yeah. to put it on. And then later point, no. later on, at yeah. that point, yeah. yeah later on, yeah. it became where the stations started paying us. Where we yeah. actually became a true syndicated product Where we went to Nappy, and instead of us trying to get on stations, stations were coming and trying to get the show on their networks, on their uh, television stations. Yeah, but they used to they used to edit
0: these tapes, and they would put each market. Uh, David Hayes, remember, and they and they we had these rooms, and he would be in there all day long, and he would customize these tapes that they would individually send out right fedex out to all of these stations and they would literally plug it into a machine and it would play on saturday morning or whenever the the show aired and it it, you think about the 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 machine that they had to do that was involved in in making that happen and then of course uh bruce remember when if a guy went down if uh you know (laughs) the berserker or somebody you know pulled a hammy well I get that phone call, the red phone on the desk, from Howard, going, uh, "Sean, you're gonna have to uh, redo, you know, 17 markets, and like, right. uh, and there, <laughs> there's tape, it's out there somewhere." But I remember I would have the, we had the red phone on the desk, remember? And it would, oh, yeah. he would call, he would call, it would buzz, it had a little light on it, so it wouldn't interrupt the thing. And I remember you could see me on tape, and he, it's Howard, like, "Huh? Really? Oh, mm. Hulk? No? Okay, how many?" Okay, and you see me hang up the phone, and then he, uh, onto, you see me grab the phone and throw it across the studio. That's right. <laughs> I mean, it really tested your patience. And I know that, you know, like you said, with Gene, uh, he didn't want any part of that. He,
1: he no, was, yeah, no. Mooney, Gene, Gene uh, was happy to, yeah. to to see you there. Gene was happy to see you come in because it meant his days in the event center were over. But I, I you know, I asked you about Chris Carmody because we had done, and I had brought uh, Joel Watson actually to help edit. During that time, uh-huh. and I want to say it was WrestleMania, maybe five. I, I really don't even remem- remember what the time frame was. But Chris had come in, super nice guy. I believe Chris was a baseball guy too. Yeah,
0: network guy. But
1: yeah, yeah, network network guy. Really, really nice guy. And but he just didn't get it. He, he no. didn't get the wrestling business. And I, I assume he was a great television guy, but he came in and was a fish out of water. Yeah. And I remember getting a phone call from Tom Carlucci, who was, who is now one of their, uh, heads international. in the international. Yeah. yeah. Well, Tommy was the, uh, in the shipping department. Yeah. Yeah. So he calls me and says, Hey, I just want to let you know that we were told by Chris That we have to hold up. And he listed the markets. There were probably, I don't know, 25 markets, something like that. Um, and they're not going to go out because they say that Harley race is going to be in, in a match. And there was somebody else, but it was like the second and third match on the card. Mm -hmm. There were just mentions of them. And he had heard that Harley was going to have to have surgery and some other guy was out. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you mean you're holding the markets? (laughs) He says, yeah. He says, we can't, we can't false advertise. And he says, I looked at the cards and I looked at the tapes. There are no promos from them, but they are mentioned in the, in the event centers. And and he told me to hold these things. And I couldn't get a hold of Chris. I called Vince. I said, Hey Vince, I said, um, I understand, you know, these guys aren't going to be there, but why are we holding the tapes? Why aren't we sending them yeah. out? We can correct this next week. This isn't like, you know, Hulk's yeah, not three weeks
0: there. out. Yeah.
1: Right. Event. You know, this, yeah. th- these yeah. are, they're not they're, These aren't major changes. I, I, I don't want to hold the tapes. Yeah. Why would you hold the tapes? Said, well, Chris called and said to these guys what? aren't going to be out. And he's like, God damn it. <laughs> what kind of idiot did I hire? I said, I Hang on. I don't know that he knows. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Just, I, thought, I thought it came from Vince. So I couldn't get a hold of Chris. And again, we didn't have uh, cell phones then. So I called Vince. And figuring that he would give me the reason why and I would go do it. But I was going to plead my case that this is going to cost us a lot of money. To change this, yeah, the shows wouldn't
0: have aired, right?
1: (laughs) For for these not to get out, Vince, this is this one's gonna hurt us and to get tapes to them late. I don't want to do that. So, shortly thereafter, uh, Vince took a walk with Chris and Chris was gone, but um, and that's when you know, pretty much he congratulations, pal, it's yours,
0: (laughs) head of production again. I just didn't. Well, I remember he was there for like two weeks with me, he uh, took me to lunch one day and that was that way, he was gone. But, you know, that's and to Vince's credit uh, that he realized at the time, Bruce, that he in order to raise the bar to to uh, raise the level of production, he had to get people who were experienced with network television. I mean, there's no question that once that started to happen, the the stuff that was on our air, the stuff that we produced was better than a lot of the stuff that you saw on the network. But he started to bring these people in. But at the same time, there was this fascination with people who uh, just didn't get it. And Chris Carmody, God love him, he was a, gr- a nice guy, but didn't. And that is, they brought another guy, I, remember, I can't remember his name, Mike. He, was, he came in for a, a brief period, remember he was running. And then, then John Filippelli. Uh, Filippelli is, he, he is remarkable, considering that this guy was, uh, he came in from NBC. And he's one of those people, Bruce, that no matter what happens, he falls up. <laughs> in his journey he has fallen up but, but i don't know if there was ever a bigger and and uh also another nice guy but uh who did not belong in the wwf and had a bit of a, a pretty good stint there for a lot of money <laughs> yeah he fired me yes he's, i know he's that. The one, he's uh, the one
1: that he's the one that fired me and you know i always look back at that and I, I look at different things and, and I say, you know, I I could make excuses and I could have made that work, but I had, you know, I had an ego, I had chip on my shoulder. Um, I was going to show him by God, I was going to fight city hall and I lost. Um, I could have, I could have gotten along with him and I could have been nicer. I could have worked better with him and I I chose not to. So got rid of my ass and, and that's nobody's fault, but my own. Uh, not one of my favorite people in the world. I don't think that uh, Flip and I would be going out and having drinks anytime. But, yeah, uh, well,
0: and I think you remember at the time, too, is that he brought in his people. Now, you know, where, in his element, he is definitely a network guy, and and he knows how to, uh, you know, I'm sure successfully produce sport sporting events along the way. But uh, when you're not really smart to what goes on in this business, this is very difficult because— it's hard enough, as I, as I learned you know, my first year, but I was smart enough and had some great people around me like Gino and, and Bobby and, and Alfred who, you know, who smartened me up and just basically said, just keep your mouth shut and just do your job and eventually everything's going to be okay. Well, Flip wasn't that kind of guy. He was very busy making sure everybody knew that he knew it all and it just didn't work there. And he had, maybe he had a staff of people that came in there. And I, I think we all knew it was a matter of time. And he went on to do. He went to the Yankees network, and then, of course, big time at Fox. But that was definitely not the right fit. And I and and anybody who was there I knew it. And I don't remember. I don't know how long it lasted, but uh, that was that was tough. <laughs> I'd love to yeah. talk to Kevin Dunn someday about it because he had to deal with a lot of it. You know.
1: Oh yeah, and it was it was absolutely crazy because. Like you said, there there was his staff of people and his staff yeah. of people brought along the same attitude, and mm-hmm. the the lack of an attitude of wanting to get along and to learn and to to figure this thing out. that was probably my my biggest issue with any of them was simply, okay, um, let me let me show you one another way to do it. And I want to, I want to see your way too, because if there's the person I learned more about television than anybody other than Vince McMahon was Dick Ebersol. Oh yeah.
0: yeah and being able, able to, be
1: Oh God, being able to to talk to Dick and, and, and hang around him for as long as I did, um, was absolutely invaluable. I, I've yeah. always thought that Dick Eversall was a genius when it came to television.
0: Yeah. And not only that, just as you, 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 there there's a difference there because uh, you know got his list of credits and what the guy has done and and you just talk to him but he really was a genuinely good person you just tell and he wanted to help you if he if he thought you had you know some kind of talent or whatever like that he really would help you i remember in those you know saturday night's main events he would pull you aside after for he didn't have to and he would talk to you about you know, that interview and and I remember one time, you know, I got a couple of rides back with them into the city when I was still living in the city. There, and he had that production company, No Sleep Productions. And I got to ride back to the city with him, and you know, he could have just sat in the back and forget this guy. But he really he was never like that. And you know, it sounds like you had a great relationship
1: with him too, because he asked questions and, and yeah. he he was this inquisitive about our business as I was his business. Yeah, I think he really loved the business too. I mean, there's no he question. Did. I think he really liked it. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. No, he, he was fascinated with it. He had a genuine love for it and appreciation for it. And is he, like you said, he could have big dogged everybody. Yes. But he never did. No, he, he didn't. I mean, this guy had, you know, SNL and all the
0: other things that he did with NBC sports. I mean, he was really, he could have, uh, but what was, what really was, what's cool about it though, is he, he fit into that and he really, he helped raise, The bar definitely uh, with the WWF at the time, and you know the Saturday Night's main event to have it back on national television. I mean, that was that was big time, and the to to be able to tell people that I was a part of you know some of those broadcasts is really I think it's one of the uh, one of the greatest uh, things I got to do with the WWF. It was so much fun, and they made it you know they had great great uh, storylines that were with those shows too. But he really. He really helped out a lot with that. Uh, But getting back to that with, you know, with Kevin Dunn um, and that those guys that were producing these things. And I look back at the stuff that they were doing and and Vince would, if they wanted a piece of equipment that did something, they bought it. They got it. And, uh, you know, you got to think that Kevin, people don't know a lot about Kevin. He's like, people kind of describe him like he's the Wizard of Oz. He's the guy behind the curtain. But this is a guy that, that, you know, built uh, himself up from... Just a kid who was around wrestling. His father was in the business, and but you imagine like where he came from, and then all that he learned. He would take that stuff in, and he learned and kept raising the level of these programs. It was him that really uh, did that. And you know, Kevin Quinn and those guys, and you talk about Larry Rosen, were in there. Uh, we it, we would watch. We
1: yeah, and, the, and the, beauty, the beautiful thing is is we would watch different shows and different things and different techniques, and I used to come down and go, hey, take a look at this. Can we do that? Yeah. And they would do it, and yeah. he would do, He would bring me things and go, hey, what do you think about this? It was, we never rested on our laurels. We never just sat back and said, this is the way we do it. There was a, there was a, a period of that, I think. It was always, hey, how can we make it cooler?" because yeah. we would get we would get bored with it after three months <laughs> right you know you and come and up hey, those
0: monitor it. boards let's uh, put up you know 10 screens that's really cool all right what's next or they would yes. do something better or make it bigger or you know they didn't re- they didn't say let's copy the network let's let's get an idea from them and then do it better and really you, you look at those the, the stuff it, it just was incredible the stuff that I- they were able to do at that time
1: I remember Vince saying when there were times when he wanted to get rid of the desk and he had everybody standing, he says, you watch six months, everybody at the network's going to be standing. They won't be behind desks anymore. And they were, right, right. Yeah. And I was like, what the hell it was. It was nuts. Yeah.
0: Well, and, and, and the thing was uh, talking about the, the, the community there. And I, I talked about the small staff, but it really was a small staff. And, uh, you know, the people that were there, and we all lived in this little community. And, you know, Howard lived there, uh, and he was the event center besides the ring announcing. He was the one who, who kept, He who was the keeper of the books. And remember, he'd go on TV, and he had those big, giant ledgers. And we didn't have laptops then, remember? And he'd have, he oh, he loved it. He'd get, and he'd get on the floor cross-legged with his books, and he'd have the boys come in one at a time, you know. And then he'd say, okay, this is your, your thing. And he loved it. You know, he was... Uh, a lot of people don't know that that was a huge part of his job. He wasn't just the guy that was in the ring.
1: but everybody Howard did loved his... to hoard information.
0: Oh, yeah. I <laughs> yeah. oh, remember his, he has his gift of reading upside down, too. Yes. So he get- yes, right? he yes, yes, he did. Yes, he did. And, and that's how he would uh, come across some of that information he got to. <laughs> <laughs> right?
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Sean Mooney. Yeah, yes. definitely. And And Alfred was there. And, uh, you know, I wanted to do a podcast. I really do want to do a podcast on, on Alfred because, uh, Bruce, I mean, you were around him as much as I were, and he was around the production facility every day. And uh, I, I, he's, I, why he isn't in the Hall of Fame is beyond me. But besides that, he was, he was just a great person. I mean, I, I, I know you could share a thousand stories about oh. Alfred, but really, wasn't, he was just uh, an incredible person.
1: Yeah, yeah, Alfred, Alfred was, uh, Alfred and I ran around an awful lot there for many, mm. many years. And I remember I would have to call him, uh, every morning to make sure that he made it home after many of our ventures, <laughs> uh, at Bugby and Brownell, uh, that little, little bar that he used to go and goes. Yeah. I'll have a scotch and ginger ale yes. little ice. And, um, uh, he always wore the, the, the coaches, the biking pants. Like yeah. the, uh, the, 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 pants that the coaches always wear and, you know, just to display his whale rope. So that every, the young, <laughs> young lads, young, young, uh, maidens, the young maidens. Yes, that's could, uh, right. See what they were going to be working with
0: later. Yeah. And he would, uh, I, I always used to love when he never swore folks. So you'd never hear, I, I no. never heard an expletive out of his mouth, but it's something he'd say, how unfortunate or <laughs> drat. That was one of his favorites. But uh, he really was, and he, he would call them uh, you know, young maidens or, or, or wenches if they were not pleasing to him. But yes. um, he also, remember, remember when uh, he used to, he, he, he hooked up with these nannies. Do you remember the, the gaggle of nannies that he hung out with?
1: Uh, yes, and, I do.
0: And they were all of age. Let's get that out there. He, we, he liked them young, but they were all of age. And, yes. Al, and Alfred had, remember he had this gigantic uh, powder blue uh, continental.
1: Oh, well, I thought we you were. you vin- were talking about it. Alfred had this gigantic, and I was going, "Yeah, uh-huh," and yes, definitely. <laughs> well, that's him. another story. I don't. I didn't know it was everybody powder blue. That everybody
0: knows that. Yeah.
1: The, <laughs> the legend of the Lord. Yes. Uh, yeah.
0: But Jim uh, got a whale rope. But uh, mm. he he drove this that remember that Continental? It was this big giant powder blue, and I think it was Vince's that one time that and and when he stepped up to the uh, the Bentleys and the other cars that. Uh, um that he had. The car kit. What was that one? The um uh, uh wasn't an
1: Excalibur, uh, well, caliber it a was, it was clinet. Clinet.
0: yes, he loved the Clinets. Well Alfred, it was sitting in the parking lot. He asked him if he could have it and so he got it tuned up and that's what he drove around. And he would show up to a gathering and he had six or eight of these uh these young maidens with him. And uh he, he was like uh <laughs> an English I I, I I guess not a pimp. I shouldn't say that, but it was, it was funny. It was Alfred and his girls and he would take these young ladies around and they loved them. Uh, They did.
1: They did because they, they usually came from England and they usually came from overseas. And for whatever reason in Stanford, the it's also, he had the nannies and the au pairs because for whatever reason, Stanford and Norwalk were a hotbed of that's where they would train them.
0: Yeah, and so, then they would, of course, be placed in the, you know, the the high-end homes in, in Greenwich
1: and Darien, you know, those places. So, yeah. And they all was. hung out together. Yeah. And yeah. so, they, they always liked, you know, being attached to home, and Alfred would make them feel more like they were yeah. at home. Yes. And he lived in this apartment that actually had a watch had a
0: watchtower on. It a big clock tower. It was, it was a big clock tower. tower. It used to be a factory. Yes. So, it was yeah. perfect for him. It was like Big Ben. And you could find it, but you mentioned how you used to have to call him to make sure he got home okay. And I remember I went over there one morning, and I still to this day don't know how he did it. But he had placed uh, one wheel on the curb. That was it. It just was like balancing. Work. <laughs> and I said, "How did you do that, Alfred?" And he, and he didn't even remember parking it. And and that was one of the days when you, uh, you know, they they'd pull you over and and basically get you home. Yes. But uh, there was probably a number of evenings he probably shouldn't have been. Uh, Out there
1: driving. It was a different time, kids. Don't drink and drive. Don't drive drunk. But it was a different time. That is is said. Yeah, if you got pulled over, they'd say, "Okay, where do you live?" And they would get you home. Um, And Alfred, being a very kind elderly gentleman, and when you know you talk about going in that place, I remember walking in to Alfred's apartments there, and you would smell. You would always know if Alfred was cooking because you. And this place was huge. Yes, it was a big place, but yeah. you could walk in and you could smell when he was cooking cabbage.
0: Oh yeah. And uh-huh. the other thing he would do is he would keep curdled milk. Remember he loved the curdled milk yeah. in the refrigerator. It would, I mean, where you just, it would be, he would just keep it till it went bad and you could like, it was lumpy and he,
1: that he drank that. That was, he loved it.
0: I don't he know did. how he did it. He would yeah. see,
1: take out with the curdles with a spoon. Yes. Yes. He's disgusting old Brits,
0: <laughs> but we loved God. We loved him dearly. He was so always so much fun. And I got to have you know fun to, being able to actually work with him and made a couple of trips to uh, England with him. And uh, I know that you and you enjoyed him as much as I did. And uh, it was, a, you know, it was a small community. Really. We were this family. Uh, if, you know, uh, I remember, you know, the Pat and Louie, uh, uh, Pat's partner had the gimmick house. And remember how many evenings spent over there? Yeah. yeah. And he had this house. Well, can you explain what that house looked like? It was the gimmick house, but explain to people why it was called the
1: gimmick house. Well, it had 142 windows in it. Yeah. Um all every single window was a different shape. Right. In triangles, yeah, yeah, it was yeah, circles, just oval. Everyone was a different size and a different shape. And it it went on and on. It had uh one two three four five six bedrooms i believe and just yeah. nooks and uh um, right. and lofts. no
0: doors right was it like you couldn't there was no doors yeah. really you could yeah you
1: had no absolutely no privacy it was it's, a giant loft yeah it was <laughs> it was insane but it was uh it was a great party house yeah and uh and a lot of fun and you know you talk about it being a family we what people don't understand too is we worked you know, 12, right. 14 hour days. Right. And then yeah. when we were off or when we would finish up that 12 hour day, you would want to go out, but everybody wanted to go out and you all went out together. Exactly. So yeah. we were always, and then when it's time to travel, we always traveled together. Yeah. So you're around these people all the time. And that's how, you know, um, <laughs> I used to get a lot of crap because I, I would date internally. Um, I'd be like, where the hell else am I going to yeah, meet well, anybody? Exactly,
0: I did the same thing. I mean, what else? <laughs> we, it was, it was a community. We had nowhere to go. We lived in. I tell you, it, it was Camelot. We lived in the kingdom.
1: Yeah. When it the was. hell else? Yeah. When how? <laughs> w- when do I get out to meet anybody? Yeah. Everybody so, did. Get over it. Yes, everybody, everybody did because did. that's just. So it was kind of incestuous.
0: In yeah, it wasn't. <laughs> a, yeah, that's it's one way to put it, but yeah. You know.
1: At the same time, not you know, but it was it was a little different. You just kind of had to go with it, and we always spent time together. And, and when it was time to go to the airport, everybody loaded up and went to the airports together. Then you flew together, and then you got to the to the town, and you went to the bar together, and then you worked together. So you flew back together,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: But uh, so. those
0: those were we, there was a lot of fun. I mean, I mean, we'd have theme parties. I remember they went a toga party one time, and uh, one time. They had a live band in, in the, the living room of that place. It was always fun. And I, I, do you remember the ski trip? Like, we all went on that ski trip. I don't even know where we went. But Vince we arranged Killing, it. Killington. Killington. Vermont. Yeah. So uh, it was. I mean, it was. And it, and I, that's the reason I wanted to talk about that. Because you look at what the WWE has become. I mean, it is truly a corporation. There's, there's you know, just hundreds and hundreds of people that work for that company around the world. Now back then it wasn't that case. We knew everybody and we knew everybody who worked over, you know, worked downtown before the tower. You know, We knew everybody that was working in promotions and you know, yeah, that's, that ain't the case now. I mean, that's how small a company it was, folks. That's how it really was. And, you could know, you, like could, Howard, you
1: imagine, could you imagine getting away with a 10th of the things that we got away with just oh, on the ski trip?
0: Oh my God. No,
1: no. I'm
0: singing. Yeah, the, <laughs> took over the bar of the piano, and 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 uh, you know you put Pat Patterson in front of a someone who can play an instrument, uh, and he's he's off. He, you know you can't get him to stop singing, and right. uh, so yeah, it, it it's just amazing when you look back at that. It was a really not only just a golden time in wrestling, it was a golden time in the WWF for anybody who had the privilege of working there because it was just insane. And we could tell all kinds of stories, but there's one I really want to go tell is it involves you mentioned Larry Rosen and uh, and and the big guy Andre the giant and it, remember the story of him they he went to the hotel and got Ro, Larry liked to have a good time and probably didn't handle himself the best in front of the giant you know what story i'm talking about i don't really you're
1: going to enlighten okay.
0: me i'm going to have to enlighten you so you know the he stayed at the hotel at the
1: that?
0: hyatt yeah the hyatt yeah and uh Kevin and all those guys went over there, and I think uh, Gene was there as well. And you, Larry, liked to tip a few back in the day. Um, And and he started. He got the 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 giant a little Henri. And as the story goes, uh, with one very slight uh, work of hand, uh, Larry went flying over a table, (laughs) (laughs) knocked over everything, and then then, so that at that point. I think he, uh, that, that ended his evening, but he was another example. Like people thought that they could drink with Andre, not, cannot be done. No. So, but no, uh,
1: I, I, have been the victim of, of at the end of the night, last call and Andre ordering, I want 32 more vodka. (laughs) Like what? what 32 vodka. Oh my God. And oh, exactly. And the, the guy would make up 32 uh, vodka sodas or vodka tonics. And Andre would expect you to, to sit there and drink them with him. Oh my God. And I, you know, I always consider myself a decent drinker, but the, you just, I don't care who you are, how great of a drinker you think you are. Um, the boss didn't care. And it was also, and it was also considered rude to leave him if he were drinking. Right. But he he didn't expect you to keep up. (laughs) No, but, but at the same, but he expected you to drink with him. Yes. 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 You don't have to drink as many as him, but if he's drinking, you're drinking. Yeah. Vodka. Yeah. So it, 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 it kind of worked that way, but it it was, it was all good times, man.
0: Yeah, it sure was. And and I I could go on with all these personalities, but there's this, since I I have you here and uh, I was close to Freddie Blassie. Uh, you got any good Freddie stories? Because I've I've told a few about where we used to go to uh, golf tournaments, and he would he would uh, you know ride in the cart with me. He couldn't play, but he would write you know when they like longest drive, he would write my name on these things. Unbeknown, I wouldn't see him do it. I'd be searching for a golf ball or something. He would go over, and we'd go in, and they would announce the names for the winners of the longest drive and the closest to the hole, and he had put my name, so he would totally just embarrass me, and I'd have to give this stuff back. I'm like Freddie. But he was around a lot too, and uh, really, I learned so much from him as well.
1: Freddie had no yeah, filters either. No, was, oh my God! The beauty yeah. of Fred Blassie. and he yeah. he as could a get a he with... thought he was a heel forever. <laughs> he did, and and when <laughs> Freddie, I guess it was the the Hall of it was either the Hall of Fame or a Cauliflower Alley deal. But uh, if you could imagine in this day and age, uh, Freddie his his wife was Japanese beautiful yes, Miyako, beautiful
0: Miyako, yeah yes. traditional oh. very traditional japanese woman
1: yes and and i mean just pot she looked like a a porcelain doll she was absolutely yeah. gorgeous she's yeah. beautiful and and so sweet and god she loved her freddie and so uh, it may have been the the hall of fame and freddie gets up and he does this uh touching thing about his wife and at the, and he pulls out a, a diamond ring or whatever f- to give to her. And he goes, all right, you little Jap, get up here and get your." <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, and, and everybody, no, possibly, like, she comes up and oh, Freddie. Yeah. And it's like, oh my God. And, uh <laughs> he, he came over, he would come over to the house and, and yeah. it was, it was always so cool. If I was having a party, Vince would always make sure that, that Freddie had a car that would go pick him and Miyako right. up. Yeah. And Miyako would, would like go around the house and she would like pick up. Yeah. And, and my wife, My wife is like, you know, she'd go, Miyako, Miyako, it's okay. We we've got this, we've got this. And she's like, Oh no, no, no. Freddie, Freddie put his coffee over here and, and I'm just cleaning up for him. You know, he he does it. I was like, We got this. But she was just she was just so sweet and really? she, she loved cats and my wife had a cat. Um I hate cats, but uh we we had a dog and a cat. And Miyako sat with this damn cat all night long and Freddie is is in the other room, and it's like, you go look at her in there with her, just petting her pussy! Look at her with her the pussy! Always petting the pussy! <laughs> and it's like It was just... That's Freddie. You know, that was nobody. You know, like, nobody reacts to it. No. It was like, hey, That's there's Franco. The yeah, okay. You know, it's all good.
0: We used to do... Uh, Franco Harris used to do this um, charity event every year, and I was lucky to be able to go, because, you know, not a lot of the Uh, superstars lived in stanford and i was kind of with freddie because i had you know they liked i could handle them i could do whatever so they always had me go with them and so we would go down for this awesome weekend it was downtown at the uh you know the the hotel with the spinning restaurant on top and um we would do this they had this really great event you'd go and you play tennis with with celebrities and then they had this big dinner i think they had dion warwick was one of the you know performers anyway great event and he would go down there and it was really fun and i remember that they had a car they they would a limousine that took us you know picked us up in stanford and and took us home the next day so the next morning we're out in front of this hotel and you know freddie comes out and he's got the hawaiian shirt on and the you know he's got all the gold and the chains and he's got his he had a you know the man purse that's what freddie carried right so we're out there waiting for the guy the guy's loading up the car yeah man bag, and loading up the car and uh we're out there in front waiting. And then all of a sudden you see Miyako's coming out and she's got like six bags, uh, uh you know, all the luggage. She's got one under the arm. She's got, and she weighed what, maybe, maybe 80 something pounds. Yeah, she maybe was very small. And she's struggling with this. And he, and he, and I kind of go to help her and he goes, ah, leave her. She's going to start expecting me to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was Freddie. I do God. And she's, you know, you just see her. She's like almost falling down, you know? And then, then finally, the guy, you know, thank God, the guy that was the driver came over and started helping her. But, you know, that was that was it. Freddie's like, you know, she's traditional. That's what he loved. She he slept in a in a lazy boy chair. They had a big giant one of those Japanese tubs in the house and she would bathe them every night because everybody every part of his body was fused together. So she she and it really you talk about the I mean, that was
1: that was it. But. And Freddie, had a, a really really nice tanning bed in the house too, and it was oh, automatic. Yes. So it would close when you hit the button; it would close down on you, and once you, it, you finished, it would open back up and then and then allow you to get out, and then it would close. The electric—he's downstairs tanning, and the electricity went out. <laughs> I never. Heard and this. and he got stuck in the tanning bed, oh, and. My- Miyako was out at the grocery store, and when she came home, he says, Oh, damn it! Don't you know I'm down here? I'm stuck in the damn thing. I can't get out. And you're worried about the damn garage door not going up. Come down here and get me out of this damn thing!" <laughs> you know? And oh, uh, God, I never heard just, that. Just oh, absolutely so classic. classic. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah, I think
0: he tanned until the day he died. I mean, he was always—he <laughs> probably found a way to get in that thing because that was—that's the way he was absolutely you
1: know he always used to carry around the, the little uh, moist towelettes yeah to to clean his hands and everything hey, i get these things the one thing the damn japanese do well they got clean hands but as
0: you mentioned <laughs> you know, like he had yeah yeah right but he had no filter and it was funny because remember every year they'd get him at he'd get in a helicopter dressed up as santa claus and they would take him down uh to the javits center or something like that he would arrive and you could imagine what he said to these kids. They you know, didn't know any better. <laughs>
1: ah, you little. Merry Christmas, you little my you know? <laughs> What do you want? Yeah, well, tough. But if Dad you know, job one day, you might get it. Yeah, yeah you know, he
0: was the original bad Santa, and, and not realizing I mean, he was a wonderful guy, but he just had no filter. right, and it just the stuff he used to say to people. I remember at those golf tournaments. You know, you'd have all these ladies that were working as volunteers. Oh my God, the stuff he would say to them. You know, you still working at honey, you know, like, Oh, geez. <laughs> but they loved him. Yeah. Oh, I know. That's like you Damn. see. he could get away with it. Somebody else did it. No, you'd be arrested. Freddie. They loved him. It was just Freddie. Yeah. Was. Okay. It's all right. Uh, yeah. Changing gears though. Cause I, I, mean, I did want to get to brother love. Um, and you know how that all came about. I was there when this was all developed, Bruce, but, uh, I, I never always thought was there a combination here of of course the televangelist, but there was a little corny in this because of the white and the and the and the red shirt. Was there any of that or or no was it just because that's what televangelists wore because there's been people have said that before
1: that they've said what the
0: there was like the cornet connection you know how you wore the the, the no no, not at all absolutely
1: not the 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 red and white was something that that i'd seen on a uh church program early in the morning and it was a sunday uh i was living right there across from mr donut (laughs) in stanford at the at the triangle and i remember vince calling and we're going over everything and I was watching a program. Now, was
0: this already? Did you come up with this idea and then just and pitch it to him, or was this already in the works? What was going on then? No, like, I, I came sort of up like with how... the idea.
1: I came yeah. up with the idea and I pitched it to him. He loved it and told me to find somebody to do it. And I said, "No, it's me." And yeah. and I went out and uh, I I went I actually walked in his office when he was in a meeting with Jim Troy and Doug Sages, and I did the gimmick for him. I, I did it. I went in and basically I laid hands on all three of them and walked out and drove back to the studio. Didn't say anything else. I went in completely in character, but not the red face or anything, but I did it. Yeah. And when I got back, he said, all right, I want to see it on camera. Um oh. and that's when we did the thing in the studio, but the, the white suit that, that Sunday he called me and we're talking about it and, and we hadn't come up with the name, but the concept was that instead of, you know, God or, anything like that. I talk about love. And instead yeah. of having a Bible, I had a book of love and everything where, where you would normally have a religious connotation. It would be love.
0: Love. Right.
1: And he says, well, what's the name? I said, why not brother love? Mm. And he's like, all right, from there, it's like, what are you going to wear? And I'm watching this thing on, on TV I said, well. As a matter of fact, I want you to turn, turn to channel 21 on cable vision, whatever the hell channel it was. And, mm-hmm and uh he's hold on he goes in he turns channel and i said that's what i want to wear and the guy was wearing a white suit red shirt and white tie and uh, all right like all right let's try it and uh the name of the the name of the shop Michelle Carlucci got the first brother love suit for me at brothers in <laughs> <you know, laughs> fall places on, on south main in downtown stanford uh-huh. And that was the
0: same guys who made all of our blazers, was it?
1: Uh, no, 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 no. Because no,
0: no, because no, no, no. some of those colors, you know, <laughs>
1: yeah, no, no. That was cranberry, yellow, powder blue. Yeah, guy, that was Vince's Taylor that made yeah. all those blazers.
0: Really, that's just yeah. incredible to find out that uh, <laughs> the same colors of his three piece suits ended up as blazers with a WWF logo on it.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and I remember you remember how when that was your first issuance was you got the like a color of the rainbow in every damn color of yep. the, the blazer and then the the red and gold ties and then yep. later on we had the blue and the in the burgundy ties with the logo on them yeah yeah i um, love
0: the standard issue with the blue with the blue, with the white shirt and the the blue tie with the gold WWF. that was to me that's that was the uniform yeah. But uh, there are some, and people have sent me these pictures of uh, the, the other ridiculous outfits that we had to wear. <laughs> because we did. Like, I remember the, the, the yellow and the powder blue. And you're right. They all showed up. And we're like, what had, are we supposed had, to do with these?
1: Yeah. I had. I mean, when I was doing play-by-play in Houston and doing play-by-play every once in a while, different things. And I remember Vince had, uh, they came and measured me. And, and they had, uh, I had the burgundy. I had the yep. navy. I had the gold, I had a blue, a light blue and a green. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. like green. Oh
0: my god.
1: Yeah, like a like a key lime green. Yeah. And, and,
0: and yeah, Gino liked the burgundy. He wore that one a lot. That was yes. uh, kind of his color, but uh, the other stuff uh, didn't last too long, thank god. Yeah, but it was crazy. Yeah, Alfred was,
1: was the only, Alfred was the only one that wore all the colors. Yeah, you like those, uh, yeah.
0: but before we move on for Brother Love, though, where did the "I love you" come from, though? Where how did that uh, was that something you came up right away with the character? It, or is that- it
1: was so- it was something that Vince and I used to do. <laughs> I mean, we would we would ride in the cars and everything, and we would go into these televangelical pitches of of just back and forth um, and drive everybody else in the car nuts yeah. and talk about how if the wrestling business ever goes South that by God, we're going on the road and we're going to pitch a tent and we're going to have a revival, make some serious money. So, um, yeah, just would have been very good at that. There's absolutely yeah, no question. It was just brother love. What Can else you is imagine catchphrase going to be? Yes, I could. I, we, we still I want you to reach out there, <laughs> reach yeah. into the TV and send me <laughs> $5. Yeah. And that was, that was my thing. I, I and I wanted, you know, that, was something I wanted to do on the very first one. And Vince, Vince was the one that pretty much laid out my first ever brother love where it was just, you know, I've got a message of love and I love you and all that stuff. But I want, I wanted to do the, you know, place your hand on the TV. I want you to feel the love. And I didn't get to do that for many, many, many in. And we got to, it was an evolution because when I started out, I had no jewelry. And then I got yeah. my benefactor, the million dollar man. And each week I would get,
0: Rolex. um,
1: yeah, I'd get another yeah. ring and another ring and another ring and a bracelet and just, uh, suits started fitting better. Well, they never really fit that good, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'd have more jewelry and, and things like that. So it was an evolution that, that would go on. And, um, I remember one time Alfred as a matter of fact, a lot of the stuff in, on the, the picture, When I was on the cover of the magazine, a lot of those rings, everybody asked me, were those real? Were they fake? Uh, Several of those were Alfred's (laughs) because he had the big gaudy jewelry that he liked to wear. And I would take those to TV and he was gracious enough to let me utilize his rings for a lot of those brother love things. And I would borrow stuff from the boys. So they were all real until later years when I realized that uh, I don't need to be carrying around $50,000 Fifty thousand dollars worth of jewelry in in a bag to do a gimmick.
0: Yeah, so there was at one point where Vince just said, "Okay, I I, I see you got this. Uh, just go with it. Be that be that guy, because that's what it seemed like happened. It seemed you know that's you know I think initially, and it's the same thing when I first started doing the center, Howard had me screaming, and at some point, you know, this like they just said, "Okay, just do what you do." Was did the, did they finally just let go? And besides the storyline, but
1: just let you do your thing. Yeah, eventually, and I, and I think that after once I got, got comfortable, and it was it was, and I don't know if it was their blessing or not, but it was almost after um, I got to work with Hulk and Andre, yeah. that you you kind of got the the anointment. Okay, he's okay, yeah. and and that was that was important to me because I, I think that there were people that still there were a lot of people that felt that it was sacrilegious. Didn't want to work with me. I'm like, Oh, I'm not doing religion. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. kind of, you know, a spoof, but no, oh, man, there were, you know, slick was a slick still is Ken Johnson. He's a, he was a preacher and he, he didn't want to work with me. And he was wow. like third, third person I had out there. <laughs> um, Andre didn't want to work with me. Hogan didn't want to work with me at first.
0: Well, he didn't think it worked but, with the, uh, saying your prayers and taking ooh. your vitamins.
1: They just felt it was too far. They felt it was too far. And, but once we got out there and we were able to work together, um, they felt it. And I, I got into a groove to where, uh, in addition to going out and doing my stuff, he could give me the guys that couldn't talk and I could put words in their mouth Yeah. to where they didn't have to cut the promo. I cut the promo. I got the message across and they, all they had to do was stand there and say, that's right.
0: Yeah, so when, uh, and you you've got to play a lot of characters along the way, and I, I know that certainly is what you are remembered for, but uh, was that your favorite? I mean, of all the things you got to do along the way? Uh, Pretty much, a,
1: yeah. yeah. Yeah, Brother Love was a lot of fun, because you got to be somebody else. I got to go, and, and I could walk into an arena as Bruce, and nobody knew who the hell I was change into brother love, go out and get spit upon and booed out of the building and go back, take a shower and, you know, dry my hair and walk out. And people had no clue that was me. Yeah, That's awesome. So I could be two different people and no one knew. So it worked because I could then do my, my job as a producer, um, like on, you know, challenge days and in other days, I could be out in the crowd. I could walk around. I could go out and produce and do my stuff, and no one ever knew.
0: Yeah. Well, and be, uh, there's one thing that I've never forgiven Brother Love for, and uh, bring you back a little bit. But we were doing a, a uh, one of the Coliseum Home videos, and uh, I was instructed because of the 10th anniversary of something to wear my tuxedo. I had one tuxedo, Bruce a nice, tuxedo. Tuxedo. Too. It a nice, nice tuxedo. tuxedo it was a nice tuxedo it was a nice tuxedo very nice tuxedo and uh i had a garden show we used to do madison square garden and we do the boston garden every month and so uh, this was like a day before and uh so we're shooting this on the set at one uh, at hamilton and brother love was making an appearance and i don't know if you if this was your idea or shivani's but they brought out the big anniversary cake. And, of course, nobody told me what was going on. Why would you when you've got a good rib to, to pull off? And brother love, and you can see, and man, did you smack me with that cake all over my one tuxedo that I needed the next day <laughs> and covered. And I'm like, what the hell?
1: I, I don't I know recall you, that, Sean. That this doesn't sound like anything I would no, ever do. No, no,
0: absolutely not. I'm sorry, no. but there is there is evidence. You can't deny this one. Sorry, brother. Love. It's so Photoshop. Yeah. Oh, sure. Uh, but I, if you if you go and look at not only that tape, you see what happened, but if there is tape that exists from the day after that event, you can see. I had to I had to clean that thing. Off. I didn't have time to take it to a cleaners. And so there is a, just white stains from this, this, uh, cake, this frosting on the tuxedo the next night when I'm at, when I'm at the garden. So that, yeah, you know, that doesn't sound I like something forgive, I would do at all. That, it, brother, I, ne- yeah. I would never,
1: I would never do, you know, you read me one time too. It was, I'll never forget it. And, and I never sold it either. Um, but you and I shared a room one night mm. and, um, yes. so you got me back. And you you got up and left before I did, and when I finally late. got up to get up in the morning and take my morning shower, which I I do practically every day, um, I got out of the shower and I I go to get a towel, and all the towels had mysteriously been soaked in water, <laughs> and placed back meticulously on the shelves where they had been.
0: That that might have been one of the greatest ribs I ever pulled, but I have to I have to tell you though the the uh, the creative behind that was Bob Cartego because, you know, he was a master of it and he did give me that one too. But, uh, yeah, I actually, the fact that I pulled it off, I'm very proud of.
1: Only so, problem is kid that I had uh, dry towels in my bag from the night before, um, from boiled again. So. Yeah. So I but
0: just it, was
1: it was a good rib. You have to
0: admit it was, it was a good rib.
1: No, I liked it. I liked it. I was, I was extremely impressed and, and, uh, see, once again, it just, goes to show you that I should have been more impressed with Bob than you. And see there. no, You pulled it
0: off. You did. Uh, okay. But speaking of being another person, and this is another uh, mystery that we need to have solved because uh, if you recall my um, brother, my, my twin, Ian, I always liked Ian better than you too. Well, I've heard that a lot of people said that, yeah. but did, did now was that you who came up with that where was vince i i don't know if it was a shortage of talent we didn't have anybody who else who could host it but why didn't i get to be evil i wanted to be
1: evil twin ian mooney i don't know uh, why well i wanted to be evil twin too and and again as i say oftentimes on our show something to wrestle with bruce pritcher by god um a lot of times you have to be careful what you suggest because it will come to fruition. Mm -hmm. And the comment was made. I wish I had, uh, basically clone or a twin of Sean and then started laughing. Let's make him a twin. (laughs) Brilliant. And we were, we needed talent. Yeah. We, we were looking for other talent and I just said, God, I wish I had another Sean. So Craig DeGeorge was long gone. Oh, God, not Greg? a fan, not a fan of Greg. Um, but uh, he was, he was, he was young. He was very young and, and new in the business. I was young in the business and we just clashed. I'm sure he's a great guy. And
0: No, no, he's yeah. got to do very well. He's done very Good. well in broadcasting okay. and sports. Yeah.
1: So I hope he has. I'm going to get him here, on.
0: He... I'm going to get him on sometime. Cause I'd love to hear about his time there. I'm sure it's something he remembers uh, vividly.
1: So, oh yeah, he'll, he'll just blast me.
0: (laughs) Bruce, you weren't the easiest to get along with. Uh, that's, we, we, you have admitted that. So
1: I have, no, I know that I'm, I'm well aware, especially in those days because it was, I was under, you know, what, (laughs) what everybody doesn't, doesn't realize was the, the other side of that having to deal with Vince, um, that nobody else had to deal with. Well, so yes. I, and I
0: still I look back. I don't know how anybody could do that. There's two. There's two people that I know in in existence, and because the others that have been around a long time, uh, well, maybe three, because we got to include Pat, uh, that have been able to be in that circle, who've been able to Who, who you know, are, and that is uh, Pat Patterson, you, and Kevin Dunn. Now, there's others that have been there. But not like you guys. I mean, you have, have every day, the middle of the night phone calls come over to the house uh, and not many people can survive that. Even if you have the fortitude, you've got to be a special person to know how to deal with them. Right. It's just yeah. not,
1: Yeah. And, and so, knowing which one you're dealing with. Right. So it, it was. Yeah. And, and, and I, and it was, you know, shit rolls downhill and it was, I would take, I took it out on everybody. I know I did. And I like, like I say, I was not the easiest person to deal with in those days because I I had everything down my neck on the other side. No excuses still could have been nicer and could have handled things differently and, and wish I would have in some cases, but you're 24 years old in charge of, uh, all this stuff and you go on yeah. and do what you got to do. So it's good. But, um, so yeah, waiting we just hired, Ian. we hired Ian. We we <laughs> hired Ian and he, well, Ian turned out to be just so much nicer and better than you. Yeah. That's, uh, that's what I keep
0: hearing. Uh, I mean, but, just uh, left. yeah, but they didn't know him like I did. He just, uh, he was, uh, not, he was, he had, uh, evil intentions and I, and I was just waiting for him to do something like we'd come on the set and, you know, hit me with a chair to take over the event center. There was like so much, but nothing. I, he was like Mooney with uh, different clothes. Yeah, I know. So yeah, he what, had a little bit of that.
1: He had a little more of that accent than you did.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But I was just wondering why uh, I didn't get that opportunity. Cause I, I used to bug you all the time about it. Like, come on, that's Come on, uh, Bruce. Come on. Let me, let me do something too. let's, let's mess with me. i did i wanted to be a heel so bad i oh god i wanted to be a heel i had to sit over there and let bobby just abuse me i just wanted a chance i wanted we could have done something with a split screen you know and have him come out and oh i know me with a chair and we could have had a little bit of a storyline but
1: i think that you know the the biggest problem and i think that the issue i'm i'm paraphrasing i'm putting words in vince's mouth right now but i think that he felt that People didn't get it as it was the way we presented it, and that he thinks that people would have thought it was you, and he didn't want to hurt your credibility. Yeah. I don't, I don't. Well, and in that, uh, instead, that, that role needed to have credibility.
0: Yeah, exactly. Of course, when you're uh, the the event center, yes, but the, but on spotlight, all that I really got out of is I got to get beat up every week by uh, Sherry because she beat, and I, you probably were behind some of this too, Bruce. You know, she beat the. Stuffing out of me every week. Cherry? I, oh, my God. She was brutal. Do you remember the one? There's one, and it's on tape where she had me taped to a chair, with with the uh, or tied up to a chair, and I'm supposed to hold the sign up uh, saying we'll be back or something like that. And I knew it was a total. So, so as I raise my feet up, she flips the chair, and I land, like, on the back of my head. And I go, like, saw stars. <laughs> oh, my God. That woman beat me senseless. Every week I would just get nervous about these shows going, What is she gonna do to me now? There's one where she you see she's just throwing stuff at me as I'm trying to wrap up the show. And I'm not not we're not talking like you know, empty boxes. She's throwing cans and you see me like push it, you know, like <laughs> staplers. <laughs> oh, I no, know I... you were behind it. You could admit it now. I know it was you. <laughs> not that she wouldn't have done it anyway, but I know you were behind that stuff.
1: Why would you think I'm you. that evil?
0: because you you were
1: just so loved
0: and not as even today
1: revered yeah
0: yeah well it it all works uh yeah i was still there when you when you were let go the first time and uh i don't really want to get into that because i know you guys did that on the uh uh, if you want to know folks it's episode what 33 of, uh, something to wrestle with. You can hear all about it.
1: No, no, I'll talk about getting fired there both times. Yeah, so. yeah.
0: But, but, but yeah, exactly. You really get into it. But, but what I wanted to know about is what, you know, um, you had come so far at this point and you had been in, in you know, the, and it was just the big giant machine. It was then. That had to be soul crushing, uh, at the time. And, and I just want to know, like, and, and again, you, you talk about that persistence. I know you didn't, you didn't give up until you came back, but that 15 months must've been really tough for you.
1: It was because it's a big part of your identity and it is a dream that all of a sudden you're living the dream, then it's gone. And it was that sudden. So sure. There, there's a part of you that, that dies inside that you feel like, Oh my God, I'll never, oh, I'll never be the same again. What what will I do with my life? And the reality is life goes on and you have to be able to take the situation that you have in front of you and turn it into the best possible situation that you can make for yourself. And once, once you learn that, I, you know, I felt sorry for myself. I was wrong. Uh, you know, this is horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know how to do anything else you know i in in my mind, yes, I did I knew how to do plenty of other things uh I had a pretty damn vast skill set, but I had applied my skill set to the wrestling business for all my life, mm-hmm. and I didn't know that that skill set could be used outside of the wrestling business in just let's say business so um it, it took a while, and, and coming back, I think that a big part of that was also having something to prove, that I wasn't a, as big of an asshole as I was.
0: Yeah, so I and mean, it, I was, a, it was a period, that. right, it was a period of time where, uh, you know, you can go into the reflection and everything, but um, this was more than a boss to you, I mean, uh, uh, so... You, I know you stayed in touch with them because I remember people people saying you know Bruce was at the show like you would go. I mean, they talk about that persistence, and I think you still had conversations with with Vince all through that, didn't you? Or was there a period of time where he just
1: uh, shut you out? No, we 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 talked all the time, <laughs> especially at first. Uh, you know, we, I mean, we probably uh, talked weekly.
0: Yeah, but and... I almost think, I almost look at it, Bruce, and says it was kind of like uh, he knew where you were at that time, it wasn't so much, he's not getting along with the people of production, but it was almost like, I I don't know, a lesson. Like, let's see how he deals with this. When I just take it all away. Did you ever look at it that way? Because
1: it's, it's almost like a father son kind of relationship. In hindsight. Yes. In hindsight, it's one of the best things that ever happened to me. And I look at it and it was a growing experience. Um, You know, you can't, continue to dwell on the negatives and you can't just look at it. You got to be able to fix those negatives and move forward or else you just kind of waller up and die and you shrivel up and and it's kind of like a dog turd. It just, after a while, it just shrivels up. And I think that that was a big part of it. And later on when, uh, you know, when he brought me back, I remember talking to him in Hershey before the the night before I started back and he had gotten everybody allegedly together in the, studio to announce that I was coming back. And I asked him, I said, well, how'd that go? And he says, like a fart in church. (laughs) And I'm like, well, thanks for the vote of confidence, man. And I I got to the building the, the next day in Hershey and I was sitting up in the stands and, um, they, they had a, uh, production meeting and I didn't go into the production meeting and everybody would come out and everybody came out and said hello to me but I was told to wait until Vince got there. Mm-hmm. And when I got there, uh, I forget who came up and got me. Uh, maybe Nelson. I don't even remember who mm-hmm. Vince wants you to come down to his office. And I walked down to his office and it was uh, him and John Filipelli. And John said, he goes, you know, he goes, Hey, I'm, I'm going to say it to your face. He goes, I, I disagree with you being here and I don't want you here. And I don't like the fact that you're here. Mm. Um, and I said, okay, um, appreciate that. Thank you. And Since you knew, it, you knew you had a tough road back. Uh, I did. No, I, did. I, I knew that without yeah. a doubt.
0: And I and know that was said, true at the, the studio when those word, word got out. These coming back, everybody's like, oh boy. Yeah. But, and that's why, you know, so, uh, it was, that was 91. And then 15 months later in 92, uh, what was it in September?
1: In September. But yeah. you came
0: back and, um. How did you change? Because I'll give you my two cents on it when you went. But how did you feel that you had, how, what that period did to you when you
1: came back? Well, it humbled me an awful lot. And it made me appreciate what I had. Mm-hmm. So the opportunity to come back, I didn't want to screw it up again. And mm-hmm. I realized that, um, you know, there was nobody to blame but myself. And that if anybody was, you know, the person that needed to change was me, not everybody. else. Everybody else didn't need to change. I needed to adapt and I needed to learn how to work within the system that I had, whether it was, um, working for anybody. But when I came back, the condition of, of me coming back was that I would only work for Vince and Vince made it very clear to me that I wouldn't be coming into the office. I wouldn't be going into the studio that I would work with him and Pat, um, at the house. And and I wouldn't have an office, um, that we would strictly do creative. We would, uh, book the towns and we would write TV. And pretty much the only time I would need to interact with people would mainly be with talent and production crew on TV days. Yeah. And I think I was there maybe three weeks before all that changed. Yeah. And I was, and you're back right
0: into it, yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, I was, I was uh, out with Pat, and and they were doing voiceovers in the studio, and I got a phone call. Where the hell are you? I said, Well, Pat and I are working. He said, Well, we're doing voiceovers. Get over here. I'm like, but, 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 and he hung yeah. up. Yeah. And I called um, his secretary at the time. I forget who the hell it was. Uh, it might have been Sylvia. No, I wasn't Sylvia yet. But I, I don't know. I called him. I said, Hey. Uh, is Vince at the studio? She says, yeah, he wants you over there. So, I, I went in. Uh, jo- no, it wasn't Jordan. Um, Who was the guy, Mike Lupica's nephew?
0: Oh, God, what was his name? Do you remember
1: the kid that worked there? Yeah, the yeah, producer? he had the
0: BMW. Yeah. Was like,
1: yeah. Well, so, I pull up and I'm walking like in. Sterling or something. It was one something of those. <laughs> like that. Yeah, yeah. very snooty yeah. kind of thing. He was a nice yeah. kid, though. But yeah. anyway. So, I pull up and I park way up by the... Uh, the kid center, the, the daycare. Right. right. And i make that walk and he pulls up and he says, Hey man, came over and said hello to me. And he stopped before we got to the door. He says, Hey man, if you don't mind, I'm going to let you go ahead and do this on your own. Basically he didn't want to be seen walking with me (laughs) (laughs) and and I walk in and I go to the back and I walk in, uh, to edit one, I walked, My normal path, like I did years before, I walked through master control. I said hello to everybody and I walk in and they were just stopped and everybody, they were sitting around the producer's table in the middle of edit one and all the heads turned and looked at me and they went back and they're, they're doing stuff. And I just sat, uh, in the green chair, you know, they had the, the chair and right. the sofa by the refrigerator in the corner. Yeah. Yep. And it's about as far away a little from elevated
0: thing it was a little yes. elevated yeah.
1: as far away from everybody as you can get and i yeah. sat down and they continued on and they just continued working like nobody really said anything to me and they stop in between and i hear Vince and he's doing voiceer god damn it is Bruce here yet and Kevin Dunn says yeah he just uh walked in and he says well like, well what cuz they had stopped cuz they'd screwed something up and, dude, Kevin Dunn pulls up a chair right next to him at the uh, console in the in the middle.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And he pulled the chair up right next to him and says, uh, talk to him. Wow. And I got over and I, I talked to Vince and Flip.
0: I was going to say, was there. he still there? Because he was yeah. on his way out, wasn't he, at he that was.
1: point? He no. was. And he lasted maybe another week or two after this. Wow. Flip stood there and he was livid that. Vince bypassed everybody else in the room and I, and I told him what to do and we just went on and it, and it was like, I'd never left, Yeah, but time. in a better way.
0: But that must've been a kind of pivotal moment where with, with uh, flip, where was, yeah, you were but, back in and he
1: must've known something's changed here. <laughs> and, and it was, it was for me because instead of making a big production out of it or, or anything like that, it yeah. was, it was saddle up and let's go. Yeah, and awesome. and, I, and I, I just would never forget, you know that that because for voiceovers at that time, Kevin sat back at that producer's desk in the back, you know where we had the the microphone and everything there, and I just always remembered, man, bring that that empty chair that was against the wall, sit down. Uh, I was like, okay. Wow. Well, and the thing
0: I was going to tell you when when you came back uh, that I there was a huge. Difference that I noticed, and it was, you know, prior to that, I don't think you realized how much I I look to you in a lot of ways to help me uh, with the wrestling side of it, but also just you know about, about doing, you know, like there's a different way. It's it's not just being a talent. You have to know how to deal with with the the guys you're dealing with. They're, these are guys are from a different world, and I know when you came back, you were a lot more open to sharing that w- with me. And it, not that you didn't tell me stuff before, but it was like before you told me. This way, you were you would look at stuff, and it would be a TV or something, and you would say something. It was just different then. I felt that was like a time when I I felt the closest to you on the time that I'd been there, and I wasn't there much longer. But I tell you, I mean, I noticed a market difference in who that Bruce Pritchard who came back was before than the guy that left.
1: So, and and the guy, and plus, you know, the guy that came back had didn't have all that responsibility. Of all, of, of all the shows and everything. I didn't have that on me too. So that was a huge, you know, it was a huge weight off my shoulders that, um, you know, I wasn't prepared for before. And again, I'm not making excuses just the way it was. I was an asshole. And, and now I'm back doing what I love to do. I was creating I was writing TV. I was booking. I was getting to do wrestling. I was getting to have fun and create again. Yeah. So to be able to help and talk to people in that way, man, it, it was, it was night and day versus, oh my God, I got, these shows have to be out by a certain time. And, and, oh, is Vince going to like the way this guy looks on this? Is he? It was a different, a completely uh, different atmosphere and a completely uh, different normal for me.
0: Yeah. And, uh, and you, you look at it, this, I mean, all told, you were there uh, over a period of 22 years, but really 20 years with right next to Vince and seeing all this happen. Uh, you would be let go again in 2008, folks, if you want to hear about that. Uh, episode 33 is something to wrestle with. It's got the whole story, why was Bruce fired? But what I wanted to ask you, when you look back now, Bruce, and, and you've been out a while, uh, how do you view it all? Uh, of all that you got to experience, all the impact that you had,
1: uh, how do you look at it now? Wow, um, you know it, it's it's difficult sometimes to look back and 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 view your own uh, hindsight's always twenty twenty, and yeah. to be able to look at yourself objectively, I think that overall. Uh, somebody asked me the other day uh, I, I did an interview or uh, actually it was done it was this morning he he said you know if if you could could go back how would you basically you know describe uh, your influence in the company and and how your podcast now i mean what 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 does that do to you i so, said you know it's it's humbling to think that is many people that do. We've got almost a million people that download our show every yeah. week. Yeah. It, it's humbling to think yeah. that that many people care. And yeah,
0: you've also realized listen, that that era that you talk about uh, is just golden to them. It takes them back to their childhood, and that is one thing that connects uh, them to you and and everyone else. It's, it was was a part of that.
1: And, well, and also, you know, the, a big part of it is, is sometimes Jim Conrad will get on me about, uh, well, you're a WWF apologist and you you, you yeah. defend all that. Yeah. I defend it because a lot of it was my idea. <laughs> you know it's it. you go back and and let's let's evaluate your work 20 years later well you know what i still think it was pretty damn good uh I, th- I think we had a pretty damn good track record and i agree if it was my idea i look back on some ideas and go oh god what the hell were we thinking yeah. but for the most part I, i'm proud of my body of work and i think i can point to it and say um nobody else with the exception of pat patterson has had that kind of longevity in that role, um, in that yeah. company, um, yeah. at, at that level. And like you say that they don't, man, they don't do that now though. Vince doesn't give 20 hours a day to anybody anymore. Yeah. And, and that yeah. was every well, day. Yeah. But the thing is to, uh,
0: you know, I, I used to love to hear these people that would say, well, all you need to do is just be honest with them. You have to stand up to them. No, there are only like so many people in this world that could do that. And you have to be able to be an asshole and you had to be able to uh you know be able to do that and have that back and forth but there were people that you would see who did that and they were gone within minutes i mean it's just that isn't how it works you know it has (laughs) there's so many ingredients in that if you tried to break it down you never could because it'd be impossible you can't understand that man's brain but there are individuals pat patterson you kevin dunn i mean that. I, I don't know if I've ever known anybody who could read people better. I, I really don't. I think that that's like his true gift, besides all the stuff he can do for production. But I've never, he's five, you know, five steps ahead of everybody and just knew how things are going to play out. I don't know. But you know what I'm saying? that you, you know, you would hear people, how many times you hear people, oh, you just got to be able to stand up to Vince and tell him what you think. No, that's not how it works.
1: You know? Yeah, it's, it's, you, it's have to be able, you have to be able to present your argument. You have to be able to give a viable argument versus so many people would go in and say, hey, that sucks. Well, okay. And, well, and I used to do that. I used to say, no, that sucks. Okay, what else have you got? And Pat Patterson explained that to me. Two words, what if. And if you think something sucks, don't say it sucks. Say, hey, what if we tried this and provide an alternative to make them think about something else for a minute, try it on. And maybe then you can convince them to see that what if, uh, and if he decides to go another way, he's the boss and that's the way you're going to go get on board. So, uh, once I learned how to do that and I learned how to present my ideas as what if ideas and didn't tell him, Hey, old man, your shit sucks. Mm -hmm. Um, not the way to approach it. Yeah. You know, bad way to approach it. And I think that Overall, I I loved it. And Vince used to give this analogy to to writers when people would always talk about, oh, well, Bruce is a kiss-ass and so on and so forth. Mm. He would say, you know, he goes, I've heard that. He goes, and there's not one person in this company that's less of a kiss-ass than Bruce. And that's the reason he's been around as long because Vince and I probably disagreed more than we agreed. Mm. However, I did it in a way that, and I learned this because I didn't do it at first this way. I had to learn it. I had to, you have to adapt and learn how to do it. But I learned how to give my point of view in a way that made him listen.
0: Yeah. Well, you and and had to read him too. I, that's, yes. That was another thing that people just didn't understand. Oh yeah. You know, like you said, uh, one second he's here, another second he's, the page is turned and you, if you're, you're looking back at chapter three, you're in trouble. <laughs> You know oh yeah definitely and, and you have to be able to do that
1: Pat and I would uh, laugh sometimes especially during the steroid trial we would get to the house and he would be on the phone with the attorney and we would say we're going to get there at eight o'clock in the morning Pat and I would be there at eight Pat and I would go outside and we'd work till four or five we'd never see him yeah. I'm not I'm not exaggerating yeah. and we would leave and maybe we, we'd go to the bar maybe we'd go over to Pat's house have a drink and the phone would ring where the hell are you guys? <laughs> yeah, right. I was like, We've be been there. at your house yeah. all day. Uh, yeah. Wow. Well, <laughs> Stephanie and went and got us lunch. She yeah. brought you lunch. Yeah. We ate outside. You never showed your face. We've got TV written. We've got the towns booked. We, we're, we're done for the day. Yeah. What do you got? I was like, oh. yeah. You know, he just it's never. Living stopped. in the
0: kingdom. It's living in the kingdom.
1: He right. never saw. You'll appreciate this because it was an event center deal. So, no. uh, I get a phone call at two thirty in the morning, something like that, and it's a Wednesday. Hey, pal, what are you doing? Oh, gosh, Vince, I'm, <laughs> I'm sleeping. <laughs> are you watching Spotlight? No, Vince, I'm not. I'm I'm sleeping. God damn it. And he's, he was watching the MSG network, a spotlight show, which was our third syndicated show. It's yeah. on the, the totem pole kind of down there where the dirt comes up around yeah. it. Yeah. And there was an interview that Oakland had done and Oakland was wearing dark sunglasses and it was with demolition. And, and they're talking about being hungover, over and, and it was horrible. Oh, right. And he says, I oh, ain't putting this trash on here. And God, this is horrible and blah, 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 blah. And who did it? Vince, I don't know. I'll get to the bottom of it uh, tomorrow. I'll, I'll let you know. So I come in and Cortego is supposed to be there at nine o'clock and I'm in the office about eight. And I go down to the event center. I say guys, pull this, this tape for me. What aired on MSG last night. And I look at it. And it's, it's Okerlin being Oakland.
0: Yeah.
1: <clears throat> Guys old, having fun. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's the, when they, yeah. When they were great interviews,
1: <laughs> it's on, it's, it's on MSG at yeah. 2 a.m. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The only place it was going to air was on Madison Square Garden Network at 2 a.m. on Wednesday. And so when Bob gets in, have him with come his sunglasses on. <laughs> yeah. So of course Bob doesn't show. And so Vince calls me. At like 8.30. Uh. Um, the event center guys aren't in yet. Uh, they should be in about 9. And I'll I'll call you. I'll call you as soon as I know. All right. Still on it. Jeez. So, 9 o'clock comes. Phone rings. What the hell was with that damn interview? <laughs> oh, God. So, uh, man, I'm, you know, I'm doing other stuff. I'm like, uh, I don't know. I'll call him and I'll get right back to you. They're, you know, I haven't seen him yet what the hell are you guys doing over there? Yeah. So on this particular day, Cartago decides he's not coming in until 1130. Of course, doesn't tell anybody and Bobby's mm-hmm. a little late. And by the time he comes in, he has no explanation for it. And and I've already answered Vince going, Vince, I'll, I'll fix it. It won't happen again. God damn it. I want those guys. And he's going nuts. <coughs> but it was two 30 in the morning. Yeah. And at eight thirty, he's calling me wanting an explanation. Yeah. You know, a guy's supposed to be in at nine. He doesn't show up till 1130. Um, uh, Hey, one slipped by, I'm sorry, <laughs> but that was the kind of stuff yeah. that that was every day. Yeah. The detail stuff. At oh. some point in the day that you, you would, you would go, okay, Hey man, we're having fun here. This is, uh, I'll let that one go. And two thirty 30 in the morning. Yeah. Nope. 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 nope you never know and that was an example that i used with everybody is like, i look i don't know what he's going to see and what he's not going to see so we have to assume he sees everything
0: yeah so the all-seeing yes he did i think <laughs> yeah.
1: no.
0: well bruce uh bottom line i mean you've always been a fan since you were a kid and w- when you think about working with the greatest names in professional wrestling no no question about it uh, did you ever really stop being that little kid around those guys uh, that here you are with uh, you know Undertaker and all, all these people because there's you know the people listening just they go to these shows and they see these guys it doesn't matter how old you are they're just in awe did you do you ever uh, did you ever lose that inside you may have concealed it really well but did that ever change
1: no I hope it never does well. I love the business just as much today as I did then. And I appreciate it. And I I really hate this is here. I'll get on my my soapbox for a minute. It's, it's irritating when there's a segment of the audience that applauds when uh, someone does poorly. And that it's like, uh, I'll use TNA for example, where they would applaud. Oh, Hey, TNA is going out of business. The last thing you want is for TNA to go out of business. There's a lot of good people there. Yeah. That have families that rely on that, and competition and other companies are good for the business. Yeah, and absolutely. I never want to see anybody go out of business and be out of a job, and and have that affect their family. And and that is is a pet peeve of mine. In that I look at it and go, "Come on, why are you wishing ill on someone or some company that has human beings working for them that are trying to just feed their family?" and I I still love the business, and I look at the WWE product today, and people go, "Ah, it's not what it used to be." No, it's not what it used to be. It's different, and it has evolved, and it has changed, and I enjoy it just as much as I did then. It's just in a different way, and you have to appreciate it because it got great athletes, it got great talent, but. So do a lot of other companies. I got to work with Booker T's reality of wrestling here in Houston and, and in Texas city. And I love working with those guys because it's young, hungry kids. And all they want to do is they want to be in the wrestling business. Yeah. I love cool. working with them, uh, because it, it's just fun. So every level of the business I enjoy working in, I enjoy watching for a variety of reasons. It's not yeah. the way it used to be. And it never will be again. Yeah. Yeah. But if you support it and love it, continue to support it and love it and watch it grow and and sit back and rather than critique it, sit back and have fun with it and go with it and allow yourself uh, to
0: smile. Yeah. And they need this. They need those indies out there. They (coughs) they really do because they need. That's the only way that uh, WWE will continue to be challenged. It's the only way you're going to get, you know, they can't have everybody down in in Orlando. You know, that's they need these before they get there. They got to be somewhere else. And. You know, uh, Jim Duggan always talked about, you know, just how he loves going to these indie shows because he's always said, there's always, there's somebody, there's somebody that's in there that night that you just say, you know what, maybe. And if they go away, I don't know what happens at that point. You know, it's just, it's, it is, they got to keep it going and they got to keep supporting it.
1: Exactly. And they got to go out. And again, you have to look at it through a different set of eyeballs and you don't have to look at everything and critique it. I don't watch modern family uh, wondering why did they take that shot? You know what? I think Ed O'Neill could have played that a little bit differently. Yeah. No, I sit back back and I just want to, I just want to lose myself for 22 minutes or whatever the hell it is. Um, it's, it's, man, I think people in this age of information, they, they take things way too seriously and we don't all have to be experts. You are allowed to sit back and enjoy life. And, and, uh, I'm a movie critic. But I will not leave a movie, no matter how bad. (laughs) No matter how bad it it is, I'm going to see it through to the end because I want to see how they told me this story, or tried to, yeah. And I or tried to. And I I just saw the movie uh, "Battle of the Sexes" about Billie Jean King and and Mm -hmm. Bobby Riggs. Yeah, have you seen it? No. Okay, I'm That's gonna ruin it. it for you. I'm gonna ruin it for you. Okay. It's horrible. It sucks. It concentrates on the uh, on Billie Jean King discovering she's a lesbian and her in her lesbian affair while she uh-huh. was married, and and I think it focused on that too much. Versus to me, what the yeah. beauty of that story was was how Bobby Riggs was able to lift up the women's tennis movement and create competition and yeah. create this this just larger than life spectacle of man versus woman and how it was really in so many ways Bobby Riggs that helped the women's tennis association become larger than life and actually be recognized and get the money they deserve. That it was you know it wasn't about it, it just there was so much of a better story to tell, in my opinion, because I've studied it and I've always been fascinated by it. Yeah. Um and I just, but again, I sat there through the whole damn thing and watched it.
0: Yeah, and he put him over. Yes, in, in wrestling terms, he knew he put him over. And then, and you know, I work in the news business now. They buried the lead, so it was the uh, exactly. unfortunate because it looked good. You know, he's in the trailer, like, oh, this would be great. I remember when that happened. But uh, it is all about entertainment. And uh, as we wrap up here, Bruce, uh, we we mentioned the the podcast. Everybody knows about this podcast. It's just incredible. Uh, But we were catching up and uh, you were saying, you know, you thought all this was behind you. Um, You know, you've been been, uh, familiar or uh, friendly with Conrad and he pulls you back in Uh, quickly how that happened. And uh, man, has your life changed in a very short period of time?
1: Well, I, you know, I had gotten away from the business. I, I'd yeah. left, uh, TNA and I'd, I'd gotten away from the business and Conrad and I work together. We do mortgages. We save people money and I can save you money at save with bruce.com. Whether or not you need to, uh, buy, if you're going to buy a new home, that's our specialty and we can get you in a mortgage. Or if you need to save some money, conduct, consolidate a loan and lump all of your payments into one payment. We can do that over at save with bruce.com. All uh, you gotta do. It's oh, just, there's somebody calling right now. I know. There's somebody. I, I say it, and they, and they call <laughs> right away.
0: Just like that. SaveTheBruce.com.
1: Yeah, yeah, but we can do that, and and we're an equal housing lender, NMLS, yeah. number oh, awesome. 65084. But that, I knew that's you had that business. number remembered. That's our business, man, right. and, and right. that's what we do. And we were talking one day, and I'm, we're, we loved the wrestling business. He would always ask me these questions. Hey, what happened when? And he says, that's a podcast. And I told him that's something I'll never do. Yeah. And we got to talking about it more and more and more. And I decided to do it. And they told us if we can get to 10,000 uh, downloads, man, we might make some money. Our first show did 61,000. And we we went up from there. And it's been an incredible ride. And like I said, the the craziest thing to me is people care and people listen. And uh, it's very humbling. We do live shows. i going to be in Houston. Yeah, November nineteenth.
0: incredible. Uh,
1: Boxgimmicks.com like, for tickets. And... To go out there and to have people that have actually paid their hard-earned money to come and see you and listen to you, um, it blows my mind. It really and truly just absolutely blows my mind.
0: You know, people love these live shows because they get something different when they show up to that, and they get to see you guys in person. But I know you guys always have something special planned. <laughs> I know oh, yeah. what you did in Detroit is, was memorable, and oh, yeah, uh, it's, it's awesome.
1: Yeah, well, sometimes, you know, things things happen sometimes. And you know what you know what happens over at BrucePritchard.com when you buy a shirt from me? Yeah. Is I call you and I say, Hey, thank you. And I, I'm I'm a little bit behind right now, but by God, I call everybody and I say thank you. All you gotta do is go over and pick out one of those great shirts at BrucePritchard.com. I've got over eighty three designs to choose from. So there's gonna be something for everybody. In, you guys uh, have
0: eighty three shirts now? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Some fun stuff. If you buy And where is that? You go to uh, ProWrestlingTees.com, right? ProWrestlingTees.com. And we yes, we have some shirts over there, too, that I'm hoping folks will uh, check out. Especially, you don't have your Sean Mooney Who t-shirt now yet, right, Bruce?
1: Huh? Huh? <laughs> I have a huh <laughs> shirt. Yeah. Oh, it's Richard.com and you can get that right now, my God. And I'll, and I'll call you, and I'll say, hey, thank you very much. Because I really do. That's another thing that blows me away, that people actually buy my shirts, and I greatly appreciate it. Yeah, well, get with that. I'm going
0: to start doing that. That's a great idea. <laughs> buy my shirts. Buy your shirts, and I'll ca- I'll call them. Buy my no, shirts. No,
1: buy my shirts, and I'll call you. <laughs>
0: All right, that, that's a deal. I'll buy one of you to you call me. Keep in touch. Okay, I like <laughs> it. All right, Gr- Bruce. I tell you though, I really regret that we haven't stayed in touch over the years because uh, you really you you had a major impact on my life early on, and and the stuff I learned at the WWF during those five years. Uh, really, it's it's stayed with me forever. I I don't know if there was a better training ground. Where else could you could I have gone to? Uh, you know, done the studio work and do the the live pay per view uh, events and the the we did and hosting the Coliseum videos. I, it was just uh, it was an amazing it was amazing time and it did it was, it's it stayed with me to this day. It's it's part of the what guides me through my my life of uh, you know being in front of a camera and everything else I've been able to do. So. I thank Absolutely. you i't had the chance to do that but really you were a part of that a big part of it
1: well no, thank you because again there were there were talents could be difficult and you were always easy to work with and and again it, it's that does make a big difference as to those who last and those who don't so it's uh it's a good thing and I'm glad we reconnect
0: yep and uh Bruce, uh best of luck i know that uh, as you and Conrad continue to take this podcast in the stratosphere i know there's uh I guess millions now listening to it. I am one of those that's uh, that's hooked. Uh, I don't miss an episode, you guys. I can't believe it's it's 70 already, but it is really it's it's so entertaining, folks. If you're uh, like that era and beyond, uh, they they cover it all every week and it's just, you know, it there's just the, uh, the chemistry between you two guys is uh, it's pretty awesome. I well, you don't have to explain how it works for every reason it just does. So, thanks Bruce. I really want to appreciate you coming on uh, and, and thank you. Uh, Charles, thanks thank for you. listening. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. Remember you can reach me at Sean Mooney, who and at uh, primetime MLW that's on Twitter and email me at primetime at MLW.com. So be sure and tune in next week for primetime with Sean Mooney and another very special guest. I'll talk to you then. Take care, everybody. I'm out.